Uh, we we didn't even address rose gold, is what we forgot. Rose gold or no? Uh, what about it? Is there going to be rose gold? Why wouldn't there be? It's legendary now, like that, like pink copper color. Right. Is it, it going to oh, be like space gray, know. where they just keep calling this twenty different colors rose gold, yeah, despite yeah, the yeah. fact that they look nothing like each other? <laughs> <laughs> it's rose gold, right? It's like just. <laughs> I don't care. I don't. No, I don't buy those phones. We have a lot to talk about, and we should start immediately, as we always do, with follow-up. Richard Anderson writes in, If you use all the Apple things, isn't iCloud pretty close to offering full Mac backup? Desktop and Docs and iCloud Drive, Photos and iCloud Photo Library, Music and iCloud Music Library, or whatever it's called, iTunes Match, I guess. Uh, One extra thing offered by Backblaze is backup of other folders in user home, and with storage sharing in the new OSs, the 2-terabyte plan is a good option. Uh, I'm assuming they mean two terabyte iCloud, but whatever, it doesn't really matter. More for Apple to do, but that's a lot of Mac backup they're offering. So why is that not sufficient? I will speak for me first in saying I do not use all the Apple things. I very much like iTunes Match. I have never tried iCloud Photo Library. Don't trust it. Don't plan to use it. I have used iCloud Drive only for things like Solver, for example, where it's just easier to save those documents to iCloud Drive, but I don't use it as like a Dropbox replacement where I'm just putting random crap in there. And I think that was most most of what they said. So for me, I don't trust Apple to do those things as well as the longstanding people have done it. So I don't use Apple for all the things, although I understand Richard's point and I do think he is on to something. So Marco, how do you treat all this stuff? Would this be sufficient for you? It, I mean, obviously not. I mean, we're all nerds, so we're all going to have different types of data that's going to be different folders and everything else. So it's probably not going to really help nerds very much. But, you know, I, I think it's it's basically Apple like hitting the big things first, you know, picking the low-hanging fruit. So, you know, photos are a big one. Like, what do people, you know, you got to look, you know, look at what people store on their computers. Where is most of the stuff they store? And what is the stuff that is hardest to, that is basically hardest to lose? Like, you know, stuff that if your computer was wiped out, what would most people freak out about losing the most? Um, so photos are a huge one. You know, that's that's probably the number one on that scale. Um, so they have they have a service now to do that. And it's built into the phone. It's built into the Mac. It's built into, you know, it's like they, they covered photos really well. They added uh, the documents and uh, documents folder and desktop folder uh, in Sierra. I still have not been brave enough to actually try to use that feature. However, that's also, you know, two big spots. Basically, where most people store most stuff is either in the documents folder where every app in history has defaulted to saving because that's what computer people think that's where they think you should put your documents or the desktop which is where people actually put all their documents so it's great <laughs> they, they they hit those two big ones uh but you know and all these you know music that's another big one and a lot of that's moving to streaming anyway um so you know they're doing it piecemeal so far that's nice that is better than not doing it at all and that has probably saved literally millions of people's you know data loss from from being worse than, than it could have been um so that's that's a great thing to do but that's not full backup of a computer. That's a separate type of product, separate type of, you know, d- of design and decisions and implementation details that that has to work out. So, no, that is not enough to be a full backup. It is enough for many people or it's close to enough for many people, but many people are not all people and that's not a full backup. So, it's not just that it's not a full backup. The problem is that it's not a backup. 
That's the real problem. So if, you, if you're going through like, oh, are they creeping up on a full backup solution by backing up bits and bits? Those aren't backups. Those are just cloud storage of stuff. It's like calling a Dropbox a backup. Dropbox is not a backup, right? A backup is, first of all, completely uh, service agnostic. Backblaze doesn't care what I use to store my photos. Backblaze doesn't care if I use Dropbox, Google Drive, anything like that. It's not application connected. And Backblaze makes a separate copy of my stuff. Right, And I know Dropbox, you've got your local files and they've got your cloud versions and you've got local files and all your other computers. So you can kind of sort of view it as a backup. And the same thing with iCloud Drive or iCloud Photo Library, but they're just fundamentally not backups. So for example, if in iCloud Photo Library, you accidentally delete all your photos and that syncs to all of your things, I know they go into recently deleted and yada yada, but stay with me here. Like if you actually legitimately deleted them, you can't restore them from your backup. It's like, oh, iCloud Photo Library is my backup. For me. No, it's not. It's, it is a cloud-synced representation of your current data. If you totally wipe out your photos or delete everything from your Dropbox or do something else that actually deletes them, deletes them for realsy realsies out of the recently deleted, <laughs> out of the trash or whatever, um, and you go to Backblaze to restore from backup, Backblaze will still have them because Backblaze doesn't care what the hell you do with iCloud Photo Library, right? It's going to still have those photos or, or, you know, whatever your actual backup solution is. So the key part of a backup solution is it is a separate copy that is disconnected from the programs that created that stuff. Same thing with iCloud backup for your phone, right? If you delete everything off your phone, your previous iCloud backup of your phone still has that stuff on it. So if you're like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake, reset my phone, restore from cloud backup. I think they still give you, I haven't done this in a while, but don't they give you like a, a, a date a series of backup dates where you can restore from your most recent backup, second most recent, third most recent, right? I don't know what the retention policy is. And that's a, you know, that's a point of contention of a lot of these backup services. But the nature of a backup is it is a separate thing. So CloudSync is great, and I use it in addition to my backups, but it should never be confused with an actual backup because it's a separate job. And you want both. I want iCloud Photo Library. In fact, I have my photos in two cloud libraries, but I also have multiple actual backups of my photos. So Backups are different than cloud sync. All right, uh, Marco, you have some quick follow-up on your requirement uh, that you spend $1,000 to take good pictures, which, <laughs> which clearly, I mean, all snark aside, to me, I totally understood what you were driving at, and that, that I don't think that was intended to be a literal, like, it is impossible to take good pictures with less than $1,000 spent, but seemingly your, your sarcasm uh, was not well-received or understood. So can you clarify for us, please? Sure, yeah. So last episode, uh, we talked about, you know, one, one of the Ask ATP questions was about you know beginner camera advice and and like some setup advice and i had said something on the lines of you sh- you probably need to spend at least a thousand dollars uh in order to get ca- in order to get pictures that are significantly better than your than than like a recent iphone's camera because you know the cameras and smartphones are so good these days that it doesn't just take like a mid-range point and shoot to be better than an iPhone in, in a lot of conditions. A lot of times you have to be better. You have to go even higher than that. A lot of times you have to go to like a mirrorless or a high-end compact uh, to really be better. Um, so I had thrown out the number of roughly $1,000 as an approximate minimum. Uh, a number of people wrote in, most of the contention seemed to be that I was prioritizing the price of the camera body over the price of the lenses. I don't think I actually said that, but it, it was I left it ambiguous, and I and that was my fault. What I what I really meant to convey with that estimate was the cost of the whole setup, body and lenses. You know, and and I'm not even including in that like 
an amazing high quality set of primes or zooms. I'm thinking like, you know, what most people do, which is you get the kit lens or, you know, if it has a kit lens, you get the kit lens for like kind of general use. And maybe you get like a 50 millimeter equivalent prime because those are usually really inexpensive and really high quality. Something like that, like one good prime with whatever general purpose lens you're going to use on it. And usually that's going to put you over a thousand dollars with almost any decent setup. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I, where I got that from. Again, this is a ballpark. This is meant to be an estimate. This is not, you know, the, the, these are all like, you know, squishy, vague things. And uh, it's also all very subjective. Uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about with camera follow up is we, uh, John mentioned that, you know, that I had told him at one point that the secret to, or no, Casey, one of you mentioned <laughs> that I, I had told you at one me. point mm-hmm. that the secret to photography was don't use the flash and take lots of pictures. And we got a number of people who wrote in who, who took offense to this um, because they because they thought that either we should learn how to use the flash properly um, or that it is not necessary to take lots of pictures to take good pictures. That, in fact, many people can take great pictures and as they get better, they take fewer. That's true. Um, and that's great advice if you have if you've already developed a good eye and good proficiency with the technical side of things. Um, that is not true of most beginners. It's not true of me when I was a beginner. It's not true of me now. Um, and so if you can shoot fewer pictures and and get the same number of hits, that's great. That means you're getting better at it. But for beginners, it, it helps to take a lot, and then you can kind of see you know, where you go wrong on some of them, and you have a better chance of having caught something almost accidentally instead of having to get it exactly right the very first time. Yeah, I, I thought your advice was good, which is why I brought it up. And and I stand by your advice for, like you said, the general purpose person, which is exactly what I was. I was a complete novice. I was a noob. And I wanted some basic guidance on how to take a decent shot. And to me, I concur that avoiding the flash and just, you know, trying not to just drown it out with with too much light is the writer answer. Now, one of the things that somebody wrote in to say was, no, 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 no. You need to think about where the light is. Well, okay, sure. But that to me is like step two or whatever. The first step is just trying to take a decent picture that isn't just blown out to smithereens. And any normal camera, particularly what you told me this in like 2000 seven or eight or something like that so you know your average camera was a point and shoot which probably had a flash that was always ready to rock and on 90 percent of the time so it made perfect sense and and i i stick with it and stand by it on and and i think you were right to say it so don't let, don't let the haters get you uh but speaking of photos uh we had a little bit of interesting feedback about printing photos john do you want to tell us about this I mentioned it last show, like uh, as a diversity of backup, but also to like print your photos so you actually look at them every day and get to enjoy them. Um, so the enjoyment thing, yeah, everyone's all on board with that. But the uh, diversity of backup, a lot of people wanted to point out that many modern processes for printing photos will not stand the test of time. They won't even last as long as the photos printed from like your childhood in the 70s, right? Because of the, you know, the, the differences in uh, chemical composition of developed photos, or God forbid, if you're printing them on your inkjet printer, those are going to be, and, and putting them, uh, you know, somewhere in sunlight, those will be dead in like a week and a half. Right. Um, so if you are actually trying to make hard copies of your photos for the purposes of diversity of backup, you'll have to go and find someone who's going to print them on like acid-free paper with a process that's not going to, you know, fade or, or one of the colors isn't going to go all wonky or whatever. I confess I have no idea what those processes might be. Digital is my backup for the most part. But even if you're just, 
even if you just have a bunch of prints that will last like even just a few years, they don't have to last a hundred years. So they'll last a few years. And if they're spread around or if you have some sort of digital disaster and all you've got left are the prints, it is possible to recover. You know, you can scan those prints back in. Now, it's not going to be great, but scanning prints back in is way better than losing your pictures entirely. Like uh, we have our our wedding photos uh, for a while. You know, they were we got married before the digital camera age. So they were taken on film and we had prints of them. And I have no idea how high quality those prints are. But anyway, we scanned the prints and scanning the prints didn't come out great, but it was reassuring to have the photos on our computer and backed up a bazillion times. Right. And eventually, many years later, uh, we went uh, through the process of scanning the negatives and that came up way better because we still had the negatives. Right. Um, and so now we have digital copies of our wedding photos. In addition to, you know, ones that are in it, we have a wedding album, we have things in frames on the wall. So I feel like we have a, a pretty big diversity of wedding photo backups, you know, all the, all the digital versions, the negatives, pictures in frames and pictures in albums. Uh, and so that that's what you're going for. But like I said, if you if you're interested in making prints for archival purposes or to, to pass on to your children or grandchildren, uh, be, be sure that you just can't go to a Walgreens and get a print. You have no idea how long that's going to last. You have to do some research on this. <laughs> All righty. And do you want to talk to me about the plateau of photo resolution? A couple of people wanted to, to uh, talk about this. Uh, I listened back to the show. I thought I had said more about it, but apparently I just thought some of it and said uh, less. Uh, this is about the idea that uh, photos get bigger every year. Um, and I was saying that that's, that'll level off because dimin- you get diminishing returns at a certain point. And you can argue what that point may be. A lot of people said, well, you know, it may not be useful to have a thousand megapixel image because like, you know, you don't need that many pixels for normal sizes that you're going to print it. But now all of a sudden you have the ability to crop subsections of the image and stuff like that. Uh, but even, even in terms of cropping and everything, they will reach a point of diminishing returns. Is it a hundred megapixels? Is it a thousand? Is it 10,000? You're not going to have a 10 billion megapixel image. Like it's just not going to happen. It's not, it's not a useful thing unless you're NASA. <laughs> like taking pictures of the surface of a planet and even those are a series of other pictures stuck together right um but this is all talking about plain old 2d pictures nothing else in them just uh, you know uh, colors and pixels in a big matrix right as soon as you start considering other things uh like photos with depth or light field photos or things that are not simply 2d images or photos with like live picture photos or photos where you can 360 degree photos where you can move around or change the focal depth and all all these other technologies that are different than plain old 2d photos those can potentially be very large uh it remains to be seen if those will take the place of plain 2d photos i have to think that plain 2d photos will still have a place in the world and that those will be capped in the same way that audio is essentially capped. We have we have two ears, and yes, you can have multi-channel audio, and yes, you could go up in higher bit depths and resolutions. But for you know, at a certain point, and we may already be at that point, uh, digital audio files are not going to get any bigger than today's biggest, highest resolution, totally uncompressed audio. Because there's no point. There's no point in taking a hundred thousand times more space than FLAC. You know, seventy-five channel FLAC, and 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 you know. 196 uh kilohertz or whatever you know like the the max values that we're able to do there's no point in going much bigger than that because you know the the limits of uh human hearing right same thing with vision once you go out of the realm of 
2D photography into the realm of like VR or like a scene that you could travel around in or depth maps or other things like that, then you start to go up on the curve again. I have to think that that will eventually level off too, because again, our eyeballs can only see so much and there's eventually a limit to, you know, just even in a 3D world, how much you want to move around, but that's a different graph. But I, I but photo resolution, like uh, I think in our lifetime, photo resolution or plain 2D photos will level off. Um, and if I had to guess what the number is, I would guess that it is going to be under a thousand megapixels. So probably some number of hundreds of megapixels, maybe as low as one or 200. And that will be like the point at which people, in the same way MB3 is like, it seems almost like 256 uh, kilobit uh, lossy compressed files are like, yeah, we can do better than that. But at this point, consumers are fine with it. So we'll just stick with that. Um, so I think that will happen. So don't worry about storing, you know, if, if storage sizes keep going up, at, at, you know, with the current trends, because we always have more stuff to store like video and, and uh, you know, all, all the other all the other things that we have. Hell, pretty soon each game is going to be 100 times the size of like the biggest hard drive I could have imagined like 10 years ago. Um, <laughs> we'll have plenty of room for generation upon generation of photos in our storage. Speaking of the size of games, I was um, looking through some old files that I have, and uh, I noticed that Super Nintendo uh, games are like under a meg. That's yeah, they're small, smaller than a Mac OS icon. Yeah, they're like 200K <laughs> or something. It's insane. Like, I mean, I, I understand it. Like, it conceptually makes sense, but... It, it's hard for me to reason through it or, you know, when you when you think about it without really reasoning through it, is I guess what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's just like, wait, what? How can that possibly be so small? There was so many hours of gameplay I got from that. How can that be so small? But I mean, again, once you start thinking about it, it does make sense. But wow, did that really kind of freak me out when I saw that? We are sponsored this week by Away, who makes great modern suitcases. Very thoughtfully designed, high-quality luggage for the modern day. They use high-quality materials at much lower prices compared to other brands by cutting out middlemen and selling directly to you. They have now nine colors and four different sizes, from a carry-on, a bigger carry-on, and then all the way up to a medium and a, like a giant one. All these suitcases are made with premium German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance and very lightweight. The interior features a patent-pending compression system and four 360-degree spinner wheels to wheel it around. If you've never used a suitcase with four wheels, I highly recommend it. You get a TSA-approved combination lock built into the top of the bag. There's also a removable, washable laundry bag so you can keep your dirty clothes separate from clean clothes. And the carry-on sizes are able to charge cell phones, tablets, e-readers, anything that charges by USB because it has a built-in US USB battery. So it's great. You can While you're reeling these carry-ons through the airport, if you, if you have to sit at a gate for a while, you can just plug into your suitcase and not lose your phone's charge. It is awesome. And all this comes with a lifetime warranty, so if anything breaks, Away will fix or replace it for you for life. All these suitcases are offered with a 100-day trial, so you can live with it. You can even travel with it during those 100 days. They don't mind. They know that's what you have to do to try it out. So actually travel with their suitcase for up to 100 days, and if at any point you decide it's not for you, you can return it for a full refund with no questions asked. And they offer free shipping on any Away order within the lower 48 states of the U.S. 
And also, if you're in New York City, they have a retail store now. So you can go to the store in New York to see them in person if you'd like. So for $20 off your Away suitcase, visit awaytravel.com slash ATP and use promo code ATP during checkout. Once again, awaytravel.com slash ATP and code ATP during checkout for $20 off your suitcase. Thank you very much to Away for sponsoring our show. Anyway, let's do some uh, Ask ATP. Thomas Holiday writes in to say, Apple distributes uh, not a lot of WWDC tickets with a lottery. If Apple reused its WWDC ticket system to allocate first-day iPhone whatever shipments, uh, would that be better or worse than what they do now, which is a screen refresh click fest? Um, after the iPhones are up for sale, in presumably uh, next week sometime, I will tell you our secret to how to avoid the screen refresh click fest, which really means Marco or John is about to tell you the secret to avoid the screen refresh click fest. Force quitting the app and using the app? Yeah, basically. Just use the <laughs> app on your phone. That's well, the way but to do it. the reality is, like, no matter what method you pick, whether it is refreshing the store page in a web browser or whether it is using the Apple Store app, which is definitely the method I recommend. Um, and even if you take all the shortcuts, like if you first set it up as a favorite after it's been announced before it ships, then you can go in and just go right to your favorites and order from there in the app. Like, there are ways to make this faster. However, the way the store has worked in, in the last few years, different areas, I don't know whether it's because of CDN caching or different region caching, or it, it seems like there's something about caching or going live. Not every region goes live at the same time. And so no matter what, if you are not one of the lucky few whose region goes up the very first, you know, your whatever you're loading from might go up five minutes later than, than some than some other people's. And so you're already going to be backordered. Or, or like you're going to only be able to get the least desirable color in the largest size for T-Mobile or something like that. Like It's going to be backordered like crazy. And if, if the various rumors of you know low volumes and low availability due to you know low yields or, or low production numbers, if that's all true or if it's even half true, it's going to be a crazy mess of like scalpers buying them, having to get them off of eBay or Craigslist or uh, everyone trying to like sneak in through the business reps. Like it's going to be a huge mess of trying to get these phones. I would say probably until January, uh, maybe even longer than that. Uh, so just expect going into it that almost no one's going to have these on day one uh, unless you are willing to pay a large premium or you get very, very lucky. Yeah, and I actually wrote up um, a, a blog post in, on all this last year, and we'll put a link in the show notes. It's called iPhone Pre-Order Lessons Learned, and basically it's exactly what you described, Marco. Set up your favorite in the, sto- in the Apple Store app, uh, you know, get your Apple Pay settings squared away in advance, make sure your shipping stuff is, stuff is squared away, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it, it ended up that, according to this post, that my pre-order went through at 3.11 in the morning. Uh, if you recall, the pre-orders in years past have always started at midnight Pacific because apparently the world revolves around California. Anyway, so they went up at three three or so our time, and then it's never actually on time because besides caching, California is not exactly a punctual area of the world. Don't <laughs> at me. Uh, you can email Marco about that. Um, don't hey, don't hate me. They're it's even true. on vacation at midnight. 
Yeah. <laughs> Even on vacation at midnight, uh, it, they're still not punctual. It drives me bananas. But anyway, <laughs> the point is the 311 was when I finally got it through. And what I ended up doing was just what Marco said, you know, force quitting the Apple Store app, trying again, force quitting the app, trying again, et cetera, et cetera. And that is, in, in, I've tried just about every mechanism for buying iPhones over the last few years. And that is the one I do recommend. It may not work this year. It may not work for you. But that is what I recommend. John, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, to actually answer this question, uh, would it be better <laughs> if they use the lottery? No, it would, it would not be better if they use the lottery. It would be worse if they use the lottery. And the difference between WWC tickets and iPhones is that iPhones, they make more of them, right? So you may not get it as soon as other people, but you're going to get an iPhone if you want one eventually. Whereas WWDC tickets, if you don't get one of them, that's it until next year, right? So a lottery would be worse because that's just more bookkeeping and the added bit of randomness. And like like I said with WWDC tickets, when we talk about WWDC lottery, I kind of like the idea that people who are willing to stay up at three in the morning and have these elaborate systems put more effort into it, showing they care more get, about getting it on day one and they're rewarded for that. Whereas a lottery is like, oh, well everybody's equal in the eyes of the lottery and it's just totally random. And so I like the idea that there's something people can do to try to get an iPhone sooner. But like I said, unlike WWC tickets, if you don't get one, that doesn't mean you can never have one of these iPhones. You just have to wait a little bit longer. Rest assured, Apple will sell you one unless it's like the white <laughs> iPhone 4. And then in which case you might have to wait a really, really long time, but you'll get one eventually. So lottery would be worse. All right. Monty Thomas writes in, is there a perceptible difference under normal viewing conditions between 4K UHD and 1080p HD? If so, is that difference substantial enough to justify TV and Blu-ray upgrades? Recently, I've been reading some articles that Steve Yedlin, the dire uh, director of photography of The Last Jedi, has written on the topic of 4K. He argues that 4K is used by TV manufacturers and others as a marketing gimmick and is not a valuable feature in itself. This seems to be a compelling position that I've seen little meaningful counter-argument against. I don't really know anything about this, so I'm going to throw in my my two cents so I can feel smart and then give it to John. But um, my understanding is that it's it's HDR that's the real good stuff, and that 4K in most cases, until you get just a comically large TV, really isn't that great. So, John, what's the reality? So there are plenty of meaningful counter arguments because, as as you noted, first of all, 4K when you see like that on a television, it represents a, a set of industry standards that people have all agreed on. Only one aspect of which is the increased resolution. There are other aspects to it. Setting aside HDR, which you're right, is probably a much bigger deal than 4K. The plain old 4K standards have different bit depths, different uh, frame rates, uh, and all, all sorts of other things, uh, different color profiles, right? Uh, also for other things that make the picture better. Now, as for the resolution itself, there are, you know, I tried to find a good one for the show notes. This one I found is reasonable. There are calculators you can put in to say, how big is my TV? How far away do I sit from it? And at what point does the increased resolution become meaningless? Now, the, the question of become meaningless is tricky because a lot of these things use like, oh, the eye is no longer able to resolve anything, you know, smaller than this particular size or whatever. That's not necessarily the point at which the, the picture is indistinguishable, Uh because you're not trying to resolve individual pixels or lines distinct from each other. The, the, the eye can still perceive increased detail, even if it can't perceive the boundaries between the pixels, right? But nevertheless, there is a point at which the, your distance from the television combined with the size of the television means that 4K is completely indistinguishable from 1080, 1080 is indistinguishable from 720, so on and so forth. So a lot of these charts have 
thing that shows your screen size and your distance and a bunch of lines and you can you know plot the things and find out where you lie and they show a region of the graph where it's like if you are in this region of the the graph it doesn't matter if you have 1080 or 4k or 720 because they all look the same to you um so use one of these viewing distance calculators one of which we will put in the show notes to see if it makes a difference in your setup but like i said keep in mind that 4k resolution is just one aspect of 4k and not even the most important aspect for most people in most setups hdr is i don't know if it's part of the 4k standards but anyway hdr comes to modern tvs and that is more important than than 4k resolution and the color profiles and bit depth are also probably more important uh than the resolution so yes 4k tvs are probably worth it uh and bottom line is like like so many things before you don't have a choice like eventually you won't even be able to buy a non-4k tv so don't sweat it too much and rest assured that is not just a marketing gimmick it does you know modern tvs 4k uhd hdr or capable tvs have better picture than 1080 tvs even if you can't see the resolution difference so let me ask a dumb question now my understanding of HDR comes from when it was added to the iPhone. And my understanding is it's a way of saying, well, you're taking a portrait of somebody like at the edge of a mountain, for example, and you want the people to be exposed properly, but you also want the perhaps comparatively much brighter landscape in the background to also be exposed properly. And so my understanding of how the iPhone works is that it'll like take two or three shots at different exposure levels or or what have you and kind of stitch them together to make one shot that's exposed properly at at a wide uh, range of, of distances is assuming that's the case, why is this on the presentation side? Like what makes that, that to me is a capture time issue. What makes it a display time issue? So yeah, you're looking at it at the opposite end. Um, you're looking at it at capture. What you're trying to do is like your sensor has a certain dynamic range. Um, you, you know what this is like if you're taking a picture with you know, a film camera or any kind of camera, um, depending on how you have your, you know your camera setup in terms of what's the aperture the shutter speed the, the speed of the film in the old days your sensor blah 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 the bottom line is certain areas below a certain darkness are 100 percent black and areas above a certain brightness are 100 percent white that represents the dynamic range of your current setup of taking a picture right and if you have an image that you see with your eyeballs or you know out in the world where the brightest part is really really bright and the darkest part is really really dark and that, that range is way bigger than the dynamic range of your capturing equipment. The way they cheat this with HDR photos and the iPhone is they will take multiple pictures at different exposures. So they will say, I'm going to take the dynamic range of the camera and shift it way over to the left and take one picture over there and then put it in the middle, take one picture there and put it at the other end, take one picture there. And then I combine them all. So I can, so instead of the, the shadowy part of the picture being 100% black and the bright part being 100% white, I will take those three different pictures with three different exposure settings, essentially, and combine them all into a single picture. And I really hope nothing right, moved in between right. because it'll be all blurry and gross, right? That is making the trying to fake the dynamic range of your sensor to make it wider. Now, on the display side, assuming your content was either captured with a higher dynamic range by like a much fancier camera than the ones in our phones or manipulated in some way in a computer to add more dynamicism uh, back in it to say that the bright parts are really bright and the dark parts are really dark. Now the display has the capability to show that range. Usually this manifests in the bright parts being much brighter than you thought. Um, But it's the same thing. Like if you, 
if you take your television and like crank down the brightness or whatever, all of a sudden the shadow areas just become 100% black and you can't see anything. And the same thing, if you crank up the brightness, you lose all detail in the light areas, right? A screen with a higher dynamic range can show details in those shadows while also not washing out everything at the, at the bright end. And like I said, this usually TVs are good at pretty good at showing shadow detail, but if you want the brights to be really, really bright, you will destroy all the shadow detail on, on a TV with a similar dynamic range. So high dynamic range TVs, when you watch them, it feels doesn't feel like looking out a window, obviously, because it's not like the sun burning your eyeballs out from your television, <laughs> but they go much brighter than regular televisions. And when they go brighter like that, it doesn't wash out the, the blacks. So that's high dynamic range in the display tech. So when I watch an HDR TV, do I have to put like a little pinhole in a box and look in the box and all that, just like no. the Eclipse is how that works? I think, I, I haven't been keeping up with this recently, but I'm pretty sure no television you can buy maxes out the range of like the, the highest dynamic range standard. Like to be compliant, you just have to, I fit this some fudge factor of like, you just have to be like within this range. But the HDR standards go like to super, super bright. And I don't think any television for sale today can hit the max limit of the HDR standard with the highest range. Maybe it's Dolby Vision, I forget. Uh, because if you were to crank any current panels to that level, it would wash out the dark. So they have a much higher dynamic range than, I don't know what you call the regular televisions, the TVs without HDR, right? Much, much higher than that. But there's still even headroom in current standards. But no, you won't need to burn your eyes out. Although I imagine if you're watching it in a really dark room and a movie, a poorly mastered movie switches from a really dark scene to a really bright scene <laughs> you're gonna squint i've had that happen with my non-hdr tv you ever watch like a movie in the dark and it switches from a dark they've been in a mm-hmm. dark scene for a long mm-hmm. time then it switches to bright sunlight and you squint i've had that happen with my extremely dim by standards of hdr or even terrible led backlit lcds uh, i've had that happen with my plasma so i imagine that'll happen even more so with hdr Finally, for Ask ATP, you know, these previous two were really long. Are you accepting Ask ATP via email? Because that was not part of the agreement. Those were tweets. Mm, Tweet storms. That's what people do instead of blogging. I was going to blog this, but how about (laughs) I write it a sentence at a time with numbers at the end of it? Every time I read that, I just think, what what happened to blogging? All you got to do is do one tweet with a link to a blog. That's it. But people don't want to click through the link. So they'd much rather read what you write one tiny paragraph at a time in some ways it makes people condense their thoughts and say you know so they don't just ramble on and on and on but the other way it's like just too too many damn tweets anyway this was like three tweets i accept that well it's better than tweet shots at least oh amen brother i hated tweet what, are, shots. what are tweet shots when you would t- you would take a picture of it or take a screenshot of the thing you're trying to talk about yeah, like write it and in then notes. highlight yeah and like highlight the section oh god oh no that that's like a that's like a feature of the medium site isn't it that they like manufacture those pings programmatically for you or whatever and upload yeah, them yeah what was it like one yeah. shot or something was an app that used to do it and was really popular for like two di- two months or something <laughs> yeah you say it's better but i honestly i would rather click on one of those stupid images and read it than than have to scroll through 75 tweets i don't know in any case, uh, just let the record show that if you're writing a tweet storm, you're probably your question is probably too long. Uh, Matt Sullivan writes in one tweet in an obscenely short amount of characters, and I and I commend you for it. What would you? Or let me try that again. Would you discuss why and how y'all uh, use Plex Media Server? 
I would love to because I love talking about Plex. <laughs> um, so this, you know, we might not have time for the iPhone announcement predictions because this is going to take a while. Uh, so <laughs> the, the, what I use Plex for is a front end to any sort of video media that I have. So that's TV shows, it's movies, it's um, a collection of music videos that I tend to like to watch from time to time. It's concerts that I've that I have. Um, it is to some degree home movies, though I don't have a lot of those split out right now. Uh, but Plex is an unbelievable front end to basically any kind of media. It does do music, although I don't think it's particularly fantastic. Um, it, it does do photos, which is okay. Uh, but to me, video is where it's really at. And what's great about Plex is if you can suffer through their very opinionated naming structure and, and their very opinion way of, um, of, of how they want you to name things, then it will find all the metadata for your stuff automatically. So if you name uh, you know, the file for the movie that you're trying to put into Plex, um, I don't know, the, the rundown space paren 2000 paren or whatever the year it came out, it will go to, to not uh, IMDb, but an equivalent thereof. And it will grab the, the uh, poster, it'll grab the cast, it'll grab all sorts of stuff. And so the Apple TV app, as an example, is a really phenomenal front end. You know, the Plex Apple TV app is a really phenomenal front end to all your media. What's also great about Plex is if it's if it's being run on a machine that is even reasonably powerful, it will transcode that media on the fly. So say something fell off the back of a truck. And let's say, for example, it's an MKV, it's a Matroska file. Um, that isn't something the Apple TV can natively pick up or, or read. I'm sure someone will out well actually me on this one, but let's just go with it for now. So it can't read an MKV natively. Um, Plex is smart enough to see, oh, the client that's trying to play this is the Apple TV or an iPhone or an iPad. It really needs to be H.264, et cetera, et cetera. So I will either you know, repackage it so that it's being presented in an in a MP4 container, or I will actually transcode the darn thing so it is H.264. And it does it all on the fly, all transparently. You don't have to think about it. The other phenomenal thing about Plex is if you expose a couple of ports in your router, you can access all of your data, all of your media remotely. So as an example, um, when we were at the beach a few weeks ago, we wanted to listen to music or, or put on a movie or what have you. And what we would do is we would hook up my Fire TV stick it has a Plex a cl a client, and we would connect to my Plex server at my house. So we were in North Carolina. The, you know, obviously, the house is still in Richmond. And we would connect to Plex, and we would play our movies remotely from North Carolina, which is really awesome. And then what's even greater, which people don't talk about that often, is if you have really close friends that you're willing to share your media with, you can become Plex pals. That's my word. <laughs> I just came up with that. I really like it. Plex pals. Uh, bulk bag. Anyway, uh, so you can become uh, friends on Plex. And that means that you can stream from each other's libraries. So as an example, all three of us are uh, friends on Plex. And so if I ever wanted to watch something that I, I don't have, but Marco has or that John has, I can just go to their Plex servers from my house and stream right off their servers. 
And similarly, if Marco ever wants to watch, you know, Top Gear or the Grand Tour or what have you, I mean, if I hypothetically had those on my Plex server, that is, um, then he can just stream direct from me. And in fact, if you're a Plex Pass member, and this is where the you, you would start having to pay for it. Actually, I think the iOS app might be paid, but uh, there's no recurring fees. PlexPass does have a recurring fee. And if you are a PlexPass member, you can actually download this media onto your devices. So I can download stuff from my server onto my device if, say, I'm going on a plane or something like that. And then furthermore, if I want to, um, I could give Marco or John the ability to download from my server. So by default, you can only stream, but I can go and say, no, Marco and John can download from me. And I think I have actually, but anyway, Marco and John can download from me. And so they can download uh, my source files onto their devices. So it's a really good kind of omnivorous. It will, it will consume anything. It will spit it out in any way you need it. It's on darn near every platform and it's and it's really really great if you can suffer through naming your files in a in a particular way that makes Plex happy. I don't find that way terribly egregious. I know a lot of people that think it's absurd and completely uh, unintelligible. I have a couple of blog posts I've written about this in the past. I'll put links in the show notes. But it really isn't that bad. For TV shows, It's na- you, know, you make a folder with the name of the TV show, The Grand Tour. In there, you make a folder per season, you know, season 01. In there, it's The Grand Tour, space, hyphen, space, S01, E01, dot, whatever. That's it. That's the whole thing. So it's really not that bad. I have talked a lot. Marco, John, thoughts? I have none. John? <laughs> oh, well, you kind of got it why you use Plex and how. I mean, how do we we use it to watch video, right? So, so we use it for, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I guess uh, the only thing I had to add is like, I have video from all sorts of places. I, as we've established on past shows, I can't even remember all the subscription services I, I subscribe to. I think it's probably all of them at this point. Um, and I have a TiVo. And the clients for all the streaming services are, some of them are on my television, some of them are on my TiVo, some of them are on Apple TV. Like, they're all over the place. Like, at, at, and the PlayStation and everything else is hooked up to it. Um, so I don't have all my video in one place. A lot of people use Plex that as their, their clearinghouse. But I don't. I have plastic discs with a video on it of various kinds, Blu-rays and DVDs. I have movies saved on my TiVo that are marked not to delete, that are just convenient to watch them in that way. And it really depends on... I mean, it's kind of annoying. Like, how do you know where your thing is? I just know because I put them all there. But, like, <laughs> the big fancy movies that I care about, like, I, I just watched Blade Runner for when we did the uh, the Mike of the Movies Revisit thing. I watched that off my Blu-ray, the actual plastic disc, because that is the highest quality version of that movie that I have. And I wanted to see it in really nice quality. Uh, other movies that we play for the kids a lot, I even we have the plastic discs for them, but I don't want to take out the disc and I don't want them touching the discs. And it's just a mess and it takes a long time or whatever. So we have a lot of those ripped, and they're sitting on my Plex server. Why? Because I didn't buy them on Apple TV. I bought, like, the Pixar, you know, Blu-ray, whatever, right? Um, I don't care about the Blu-ray quality for when the kids are showing it. So if sometimes Blu-rays come with a digital copy, but if they don't, I will rip the Blu-ray and re-encode it as smaller H.264 and put it on my Plex server. And so now they have a way to watch a movie immediately. Um I don't know how they keep track of everything is, but eventually they just learn like, hey, Moana's on the Plex. You don't have to get the disc, right? Just play it from there. Um, and we do have, buy things on iTunes and they just keep track of, oh, the Hunger Games movies, we bought those on iTunes. So if you want to watch those, they're there. 
and kids are adaptable and they learn. So I use it as just another place to hold video that's convenient to to play from because Plex is very convenient. It looks nice. Like Casey said, it will get the cover images. You can change them if you don't like them, which I appreciate because I always pick alternate covers. Um, <laughs> you would. Yeah, and it's pretty good about matching <laughs> up the metadata and it presents a nice interface and I have clients on uh, lots of different places on, on iOS devices and on my television. Uh, so that's that's why I use it. That's why, that's why uh, despite all the things I already have in my life that I just listed, I found room for one more thing, which is a convenient place to play video that's not in, on a plastic disc or purchased in DRM encumbered from some other service or streaming, obviously, or recorded from TV. <laughs> <laughs> I got a lot of video in my house. Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, I, I do have a bunch of plastic discs, but generally speaking, I will rip them and in a lossy way, which I know offends John, but to me, it's fine. Um, but I, I will go and buy the plastic disc and rip it so I don't have to worry about the being DRM encumbered. I almost never buy anything video on iTunes because I want it to end up in Plex and I don't want it to be DRM'd. Uh, but I did kind of skip over the how, and we've talked about this, I think, semi-recently on the show, but very, very briefly, all of my media is on... On the Synology, but the Plex server software is on the iMac. The iMac and the Synology are both on always. And so the iMac looks at the Synology via a network share and crunches all the media off of that. Synologies do run Plex natively. There's There's been conflicting experiences even within the three of us, whether or not our Synologies are fast enough, good enough, strong enough, quick enough, etc., to, to transcode things on the fly. In my experience, it very much was not, but I think the media that I was asking it to transcode was not already H.264. Now that I've been doing a very, very good job of curating what enters my Plex server and making sure it is always transcoded to H.264 before Plex gets to it, now I wonder if it wouldn't be so bad, but I haven't done any further tests since then. you got to change the quality to original. Like don't like the remote quality or whatever, change it to, well, there's two qualities, local and remote change at the very least change the local quality to original, even on your iOS devices that will tell it if it already is in the right codec, do not attempt to downsample it to a lower resolution. And that will go a long way towards making your streaming from your plain old Synology work fine. I do the same thing as Casey, but I, but I also have flex running on my actual Synology pointing to the exact same media. They have separate libraries, which is a little bit annoying to keep in sync, but I, mostly go from the Synology because my iMac isn't always awake. It's my wife's computer. Sometimes it's asleep. Um, and the Synology is, you know, far away and I don't have to know what I'm doing to it by streaming movies. I don't hear it. It's in the basement. Uh, that's my ideal. If it doesn't work on the Synology in the rare case, then I try it from the iMac. Yeah. The only problem with doing it original is if you have something that is truly big, then your downstream connection may not be able to handle it. So as an example, uh, normally at the beach, we have truly terrible internet connections via Wi-Fi and streaming video is not the sort of thing you would want to do over tethering. So a lot of times, including this past beach vacation where we had better Wi-Fi than we've ever had, it was still too slow to get a lot of like 1080 stuff without any sort of downsampling or anything like that. So I agree with what you said in principle that, you know, doing it where it's just blindly dumping stuff across the internet will make it a lot easier on the Synology, but that may be overloading your internet. Internet connection if you're if you're outside of the house within the house 
Oh, absolutely. You should be fine. Um, also, the chat room is asking, do I have my Plex library backed up to crash plan? Yes, I do. Yes, I understand, given last week's discussion, that some of that is redundant, especially since I just said a lot of this I have on, on Blu-ray. But I prefer it that way because to separate out what is redundant and what isn't would be a nightmare. Uh, and also uh, being asked in the chat room, what do I use to transcode every incoming file? Either Don Melton's uh, uh, video transcoding script is what I typically use, and if not, I'm using FFmpeg, and I'll put links to both of those in the chat, or in the uh, show notes, excuse me. Just to be clear, Plex has separate preferences for when you're on a LAN versus when you're oh, on Oh, you know, internet. that's true. I forgot so, about that. You're like, right. I, like I said, set your local connection to original, because I have gigabit Ethernet between all these devices, like wired. Nothing, none of this is on Wi-Fi. Everything is oh, connected course, to wire, yeah. so it's like no problem whatsoever. And remote is where you have to pick what kind of quality downgrade you want. But you can change that setting from the clients. You can say, let me try original. Nope, not going to yep, happen. Yep, let yep. me try transcoding. And, you know, you that's exactly what I did it and, until you get it. Yep, that's exactly what happened at the beach was I was like, oh, yeah, we'll just use original. Oh, that didn't work for beans. All right, well, let's try it slightly down. I think, you know, let's, let's crank it back, but still keep it 1080. Oh, that didn't work. All right, let's crank it back to 720. Oh, I think we're almost there. Let's crank it back to crappier 720. Ah, okay, there it is. Finally, we've got it. And, and by the so, way, within the house, like, like I said, I don't have any devices that will play these things back at correct 24 frames per second cadence. Uh, you may have a different box that is able to do that, but you, you can do multi-channel audio. Or like, so if you have, if you rip something, rip it with 5.1, like, or I, I always make sure I rip it with 5.1 because it will stream the, you know, original quality, which obviously is a downgrade from what was on the Blu-ray because I'm not doing 50 gig rips uh, if I can help it. Uh, and it will also stream the multi-channel audio uh, as well. And that will be the same as it was on the disc. Uh, so it, may, it, it makes for some pretty big files. But within the house, it is a perfectly acceptable way for the kids to watch a movie so I don't have to get a disc out. We are sponsored this week by Hover. Domain names for what you are passionate about. Go to hover.com slash ATP to learn more and get 10% off your first purchase. Show the internet who you are and what you are passionate about without tying it to whatever big service or publishing platform is popular in the current day and age, because that changes very, very quickly. You don't want to be the last person in your group with the .aol.com email address. I mean, my first email address was at juno.com. That was not that long ago, really, and that sounds ridiculous today. My first website was at GeoCities. That's shut down. It's gone, and there's, and there's nothing I could have done about it. Both of those things seemed huge and invincible at those times, but th this business changes quickly. Let's face it. So the best thing you can do to keep your online identity future-proof, to keep it stable, to keep you from ever having to email out everyone you know saying, hey, I have a new email address, update your address books, because nobody, nobody ever does that and everyone hates getting those things. Get your own domain name and put your email there and put any websites on your own domain names. This is the best thing you can do to keep your stuff future-proof on the internet. And the best place to buy and manage domain names is Hover. Hover offers over 400 domain extensions from the regular, you know, normal ones like .com to all the crazy new fun ones like .plumbing, .diamonds, all these crazy ones. And there's no tricks, no upsells, and no scammy add-ons. And all of it comes with free Who is privacy, so your information stays safe from spammers. Hover Connect is also a great feature that lets you set a popular web host on your domain with a few simple clicks. And if you need full DNS control, they have that as well. It's very, very easy, whether you're a novice or whether you're an expert, to use Hover. And if you need any help with anything, their customer support is top-notch. I have almost every domain I own at Hover, and it is a breeze to use. Visit hover.com slash ATP to learn more and get 10% off your first purchase. Hover. 
Get a domain name for whatever you're passionate about. John, tell me about your work computing situation, because I hear it's just recently changed. Yeah, so my 2009 Mac Pro that I've been using since 2009 at work, uh, the first <laughs> it was the first Mac our company ever bought, uh, and it'll be sad, I'll be sad to see it go. It's been a trooper. It still works fine, uh, but I do now have a 2017 Mac Pro. Uh, they got space gray. I think they got space a gray MacBook for everybody. MacBook Pro, you mean? Yeah, MacBook Pro. Sorry, uh, <laughs> wishful thinking. Small difference. Anyway, yes, yes. Uh, so now I have that, and I know you know Marcos had seventeen of them, and in case he in case he has one, and you've already still given hate your, it by the way, given your impressions about all these things, but now I have one, so I have I have some actual hands on impressions with it. Uh, aside from my sadness of trying to retire my other computer, so first the computer itself, like no surprises, I'd seen them in in person or whatever, but uh, actually using one for real at work very quickly. Uh, let me know in practical terms which things bother me and which don't. First, the keyboard. I mean, you know, I've typed on it a million times in the store. I've even typed on 2017 ones with the different damping and stuff, right? Like, I, it's not a surprise, but again, you do a day of work in it, and it is different than when you're in the store just playing. I think I mostly like the keyboard. I All mean, right. I, I'm not sure if I would choose a desktop keyboard with this, but as, as far as laptop keyboards go... Um, it mostly agrees with me. I like the fact that it is quieter. Uh, I feel like I can type fairly efficiently on it. My, if I only have, if I have one complaint about the keyboard, it's that I think I may be pressing harder than I need to, which is weird because the yep. travel is so low. You think I'd be pressing less hard, but I don't know if I'm, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm more gentle on the Apple aluminum extended. Um, and I use the, I use the keyboard for only a couple of days for reasons I'll get into later before I switch back to my Apple extended aluminum. So obviously I don't want to use like that tiny cramped up keyboard without home and end and full size arrow keys and all the other things that I hate about laptop keyboards. Right. Um, I am using it in clamshell mode, by the way, I really like touch ID because my work computer, I have to enter my password every single time I come back to the desk every, every single time. And my password is long and complicated for stupid security reasons. I was like, Touch ID, this will finally save me from it. But because I'm in clamshell mode, I and I'm so good at typing my password that it's faster for me to type my password than it is for me to open the case, put my finger on Touch ID, and close it. Touch ID is not as fast as it is on the phone, right? The thing about the laptop as a laptop, setting it aside, you know, connecting it as my sort of clamshell desktop machine, that I was very surprised at how I cannot handle is the escape key in the touch bar. I cannot handle it in real life when I have to press that key. I just can't do it. Like I don't like I don't even like VI to begin with. But the added insecurity of knowing <laughs> did I actually get get out of it uh, get into command mode? Did I actually hit the escape key because I have no way of knowing if I hit this. I almost wish the computer beeped when I successfully hit the <laughs> escape key because I just don't know. I reach my finger up there to hit escape instinctively and I land on an unmoving slab of of whatever that stuff is, like plastic or glass or whatever. No, my whole body revolts. I cannot handle it. Just that one key. And who hits escape? I, apparently, I hit escape all day long. Like whether it's, you know, escape X and Emacs or I'm stuck on a machine that has VI and I'm hitting escape. No, 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 no. And, like, and this is totally surprised me because I went in the store. It's like, oh, yeah, I can hit it. No, it activates fine. Like, But when you're doing it for real, like doing real work, and you just expect to be able to hit the escape key with your pinky or whatever, and that thing is there, I don't like it. 
I do not like it at all. As much as I love Touch ID, I would be with Marco in the, uh, you know, the MacBook Escape Camp. I need an escape key. Right now, all the other keys in the touch bar, I could take or leave. Like, it bothers me a little bit that there's a, a thing with flashing lights under there. Like, it's another screen kind of flashing in my face. But some of the more annoying things you could turn off, like the auto suggestions as you're typing and crap like that. I could mostly take or leave it. I think if I had the choice and they gave me one with regular keys, I would leave it. Even setting aside the escape thing. So... Not a touch bar fan, but the, the escape key is my big evil thing. Haven't had a lot of accidental input. I don't mind the trackpad any more than I mind other trackpads. I still, I think I'm getting worse at trackpads in my old age. I've never been good with trackpads. <laughs> I've always hated them, and now I think I'm getting worse, especially with force touch, because when I'm getting worse with, with the trackpad and I'm just like in the middle of a drag operation or some crap and I got to move my fingers around, I end up pushing too hard in it and going through to force touch, and then I just like disable it or in that application, so force touch doesn't mean anything anymore. I don't like trackpads. But anyway, I got this thing's closed. Um, I'm not using it as a laptop if I can at all help it because I don't like laptops. So then I'm faced with a challenge of how I connect my 2009 peripherals, right? These are all, you know, well, they're not all 2009, but uh, the screen is from 2009. It came with the computer. It's a 24-inch LED Apple Cinema display. Uh, with what I think it was their first LED backlit uh, monitor. Yeah. It was one that looks just like the Thunderbolt display and has a mini display port connector, but is not actually a Thunderbolt. It came out right before Thunderbolt came out. Yep, and it was it was the first of that, that style. Like so, I'm, what I'm staring at right now is a 23 inch Apple Cinema display, which has a matte screen, had white on the side, it was aluminum with curved things on it, and was not LED backlit. Right, so this was the one after that 24 inch LED backlit, and it's a mini display port. Um, the, the this this display i got it with my mac i don't remember when i got it. i think it was my only real choice because the apple was weird with his monitors it comes with a very very short cord that goes out into like a, a three-prong rat tail thing so it's like this little cord like the size of a power cord and then it splits into three separate things one is magsafe i think it's magsafe one it right? is <laughs> right yeah which i've never used and still can't use it just sits there being annoying and magnetic Two is the mini display port connector, which, as Marco said, is actual mini display port, not Thunderbolt of any stripe whatsoever. And the third cable coming out of there is USB. And the USB connects the monitor's speakers, microphone, and camera that are all built into the monitor. So that's my monitor, and I want to keep using that monitor. The reason I want to keep using that monitor is 24 inches. It's small, right? It's 1920 by 1200. The reason I want to keep using it, this was part of my plan, is because I hate laptops and because I hate anyone to move my windows, I was going to take this 15-inch <laughs> MacBook Pro, put it into scaled resolution at 1920 by 1200, and put it into mirroring mode. So when I open and close my laptop and disconnect it from the screen, nothing moves because the resolution of my big screen is exactly the same as far as the computer is concerned as the resolution <laughs> of my small screen. Plus or minus the retina, right? But it handles that. Like, it, it you know, it figures it out, right? And that part works. But that for that to work, I was faced with the problem of how do I connect this thing I just described to my computer? And I also have an Apple Aluminum Extended Keyboard, which, you know, postdates 2009. Like, whenever that came out, I got that. And I have an ancient USB mouse that I use at work, right? My challenge was how do you get all these things connected to your laptop? And I had, I thought, every adapter that you could possibly need. But uh, I was wrong. And also work gave me like this little docking station thing. The docking station, I don't know what brand it is, but it's a thing that plugs into the two Thunderbolt ports on the side. Like it takes both of them up 
it's sturdy like it goes in both ports so it doesn't like twist or anything like that but then it, ta- it hogs both ports and what it has on it is two USB-C I think they both may be power pass through or maybe just one of them is uh, two USB-A SD card and HDMI none of those are helping me with my monitor and it would be hogging two ports so that's out the window I can't use that at all or I didn't think I was going to be able to use that so I have a bunch of adapters. First thing I did was like, right, I do have USB to plug in. I have USB from my keyboard, and my mouse is plugged into my keyboard because my keyboard ser- serves as like a hub, and the mouse is attached there, right? So why don't I connect the keyboard? I try this stupid docking station thing, plug it in, use one of its two USB-A ports for my mouse and keyboard, use the second USB-A port for my monitor. But that doesn't work because the monitor rat tail can't reach the USB on that side because the the, <laughs> the mini display port right to the <laughs> other side. So it doesn't physically reach. Then I plug my keyboard into the USB thing. Let me just use the mouse and keyboard. Nothing. Keyboard does not work. Mouse does not move. Nothing. Right? Tried it on the other port. Took it in. Took it out. I was like, is this... Does this keyboard not work with the 2017 Mac Pro? I could not for the life of me figure it out. Look, I googled for it. Some people think it's a bug. Some people said, oh, you have to use an extension cable, which I have, which was frustrating. The, fun, the answer is just use the extension cable that came with the thing. And I'm, I'm using the extension cable. So I tried not using the extension cable. didn't make any difference, but that didn't work. Monitor-wise, I had to buy an adapter that is mini display port to Thunderbolt whatever that has a power pass-through so I don't have to, you know, hog the power port for that. Then I have C to A connector for on one side for the monitor's camera speakers and microphone and then on the other side i had a c to a connector for my keyboard and the plain old straight through apple c to a connector does work with my keyboard and mouse 50 percent of the time sometimes you plug it in the keyboard doesn't work you just unplug it and plug it back in and then it does work very disconcerting the docking station is completely dead to me Um, and then i had a a, a usb c to ethernet uh, adapter which i needed for a variety of gross reasons to get files from my 2009 mac pro onto this laptop they're on separate networks. They can't see each other's IP addresses at work at all. Uh, so I had to disconnect them both from the network and then do an Ethernet cable, like a patch cable, directly from the laptop to the computer and just communicate over self-assigned IP addresses to transfer the files, which was fun. Um, <laughs> oh, my God. What is this, 2003? <laughs> they're on different networks. It's a security thing. Like, And the thing is... I. The networks, as far as I'm aware, the work, like the networks are based on my Mac address, all caps MAC, you know, the medium access <laughs> control address, not the, the capital M lowercase AC address. Not the Mac store. Yes. That's how it must be. <laughs> I assume this is the case because how does it know to give my Mac Pro this IP? It's got to be, you know, oh, you come on the network, you recognize your Mac address, I'm going to put you on this network, right? Um, so I said, okay, well, my Mac Pro has two Ethernet ports surely they only entered the mac address of one of them like it has two separate interfaces but apparently they entered them both so that didn't help me so yeah my only way that these things communicate they communicate with each other in two ways one i could put things in dropbox but we can't do that for security reasons because we're not supposed to have any of our work files like outside of our network so i can't do that and i wouldn't be able to do that anyway because i just have too many damn files and they're too big and it would blow my dropbox space Uh, i could i could have tried to use google drive for the work thing but i thought it would have taken forever to upload and download so i the picture I sent to Slack the other day was my laptop in clamshell mode with all these adapters sticking out of it. And I think it was basically every, all four ports filled up just to be in, be in the same state I was with essentially no, you know, with, well, certainly with none of the front ports filled uh, on my Mac Pro because I'm just, I just have a keyboard and a mouse and a monitor and I'm using my computer and 
almost every port was filled depending on whether or not i had the ethernet patch cable in to pull things from the other uh thing in there which means every time i want to leave the desk i gotta yank out all these cables carefully and you know if i want to bring my laptop with me which i tend not to want to and then and then i did the thing where i wanted to play some music or something and i picked up my headphones and put them on and i'm, I'm cranking the volume I'm like why is this not working and then i heard sound coming out of some other place I'm like why isn't it's not coming out of my my headphones were still plugged into my mac pro and then i realized oh I have to plug my headphones into this stupid laptop now, too. And so I had to snake the cable around and shove it into the little headphone port, which is totally in the wrong place for my desk. And I started thinking about Casey and his Bluetooth headphones and how I don't want to have yet another cable that I need to plug and unplug hey, from, my, buddy. from my stupid laptop. But anyway, uh, that's that's my not-too-brief impressions of my 2017 MacBook Pro. Don't have much to add other than I can't handle the escape key. And la- uh, laptop plus dongles does not make a desktop computer user happy especially one with eight-year-old peripherals which is mostly my fault but i didn't have an option to get a laptop so it's kind of work's fault too or option to get a desktop so there there you have it before you get a billion emails you are you looking to upgrade your peripherals or try newer peripherals like can can you try bluetooth for keyboard and mouse for example i know you have like a 30 year old mouse but are are there no other keyboards and or mice that you're willing to entertain that are perhaps bluetooth i thought about getting the new wireless one with the key switches you like you know the apple extended wireless thing i thought Mm -hmm. about that but then i said well then where am i going to connect my mouse right and then basically i have to get usba into this computer somehow uh and i i guess i could get a bluetooth mouse too eventually but it's like how much money am i spending here on or you know how much of my like desk budget do i have left to buy peripherals that replacing perfectly good working peripherals uh and i like my mouse and i like my keyboard um and i'm I'm pretty sure i would like the one that the with the key switches you like too i'm pretty sure i would like that it's got full-size function keys on it instead of the half-size things i think i would like that keyboard but it's serving as the usb connection point for my mouse which means i don't have a mouse cord that's like dangling all over the place and i know corded mice are so you know weird people but remember i'm the person who searched ebay to buy this exact like 1990s model it's like the logitech usb wheel mouse is the name of it it's before they started adding letters and numbers it's not like the mx anything or the g anything it is just logitech usb wheel mouse it is really really old and when my work one died i went on ebay and found another one so i really like my mouse i don't want to change it my mouse needs to connect to my keyboard bluetooth keyboards don't have a place to connect usb so it's all one big chain that leads back to me having crap plugged into the thing as for monitors i have a 27 inch thunderbolt display at home and i do have a thunderbolt 3 to 2 adapter that would let me use it with my laptop but i can't match the screen res and i can't handle my windows moving so i don't think i'm gonna do that (laughs) so much of this you're doing (laughs) can we just put it on record that okay yes being in dongle town totally sucks i totally get that it totally sucks but so much of this you're doing to yourself by insisting on using an ancient mouse, you're kind of doing this to yourself by being unwilling to have your windows ever move on you. You're doing it to yourself. I'm not saying that's unreasonable. No, but who wants their windows to move? Who wants that? Nobody likes that. Who cares? Or I mean, run cares? some stuff full screen. If you didn't have 85 tiles on your one desktop, this is why you need to embrace spaces. Full screen. Come on. Come on. I, yeah, so I can, I can have one window at a time. That's great. No. I, I oh, you can have two. My, you know about my windows. I need to have them. They need to be arranged. I don't want them to move. Now, the uh, the, the possible possible solution is never let my da- laptop leave my desk. And I may, may come to that because the 27-inch screen is bigger and nicer than what I have. And it would mean fewer and less crazy dongles, right? Because I could go from two dongles to one. Because right now I have two dongles just for the monitor. And 
one of the dongles is the crazy thing with the power pass through, right? So I could switch to one very simple dongle because the Thunderbolt display does the camera and the microphone and the speakers all through the one uh, adapter. So I'm tempted to do that just to have a bigger screen at work and also to have fewer dongles. And I may bite that bullet, but if I do that, I'm just never going to open the lid of that laptop, which means I'll never get to use Touch ID, <laughs> which is sad, or, I'll, or I won't use it in mirror mode. I'll just use it in, in dual screen mode and just find something to do with that other screen or whatever, but I don't know. I'm, I'm still mulling it over. This is just week one with the new computer. I thought it would feel like super duper faster than my old one, and I guess it does. But I guess that 2009 Mac Pro is still a champ. Obviously, I upgraded with an SSD long ago, right? Uh, and that made it tolerable and not, you know, disgusting, right? But it's still, it's still a champ. I switched back to it today earlier, and I was like, because I have essentially perfectly cloned the setup down to the position of all the windows, the desktop background, the order of the items in the dock, oh all gosh. the software that's running on it, you know, in my way that I do. <laughs> <laughs> Unplu- unplugging mini display port from one and plug it into another it was like like manual kvm and i was like would i know if someone switched this on me and didn't tell me would i notice that i'm using the 2009 mac pro instead of the macbook pro maybe but it's still pretty good it's still it's such a good computer so why why move on then if you don't absolutely have to move on from the mac because I, mean- I, I first of all i fear this thing dying and, and second of all, I like I do want to have a faster computer and nicer things. And I, I thought I wanted to have Retina until I realized I'm not going to be looking at the screen, so it doesn't matter. And it's just it's just more. It's been eight years. I think every eight years, it's okay to get a new computer at work. Can I get widespread agreement on that? <laughs> yeah, I feel sure. like it's the right time to do. Our I think our replacement interval is 18 months or some some absurdly short thing. And I remember hearing a couple of years ago, it's like if your computer is older than how many months you can get a new one. So anyway. I made it eight years. It's still on my desk. Officially, it doesn't. I'm not going to stop the clock until it leaves my desk, and that will be a sad day when I have to call the IT people and say, "Please come take away, take away the computer that is listed in your inventory system as a Mac Mini because you have no idea what Macs are." <laughs> I, I, kid, I kid you not. It is listed as someone came to my desk at, at some point in the inventory system and said, "This is a Mac Mini," and that's what they wrote. Like they they had to see it in person to write that down because if they were taking the information programmatically, they would have got the correct model on it so i will enjoy seeing them come to retrieve my mac mini and then learn how painful it is to carry a 50 pound block of metal with sharp edged handles quote-unquote handles on the top of it hey so for the record listeners if you have not heard atp number 96 which is entitled the windows of syracuse county marco and i think john begrudgingly and myself allowed for that episode to be tight to use the of Syracuse County title, which is something that we swore we would never allow. And we allowed it in this episode because I will only speak for myself in saying I am pretty sure that is my favorite episode that we have ever recorded of ATP. And the (laughs) discussion about John's window management, I was literally in tears laughing (laughs) so hard at how absurd John's window management, quote unquote, setup is and by absurd you mean the one true way of course uh yeah and management no. i think is a loose uh term. yes <laughs> oh it's management i'm managing the hell out of those windows uh, but, but seriously like for i mean you don't do everything full screen right casey like do you have no like, i don't no i don't so do you get annoyed by the the screen flippy switchy gathering so, okay. together crap when you unplug as both friends and co-hosts it is my obligation to make merciless fun of you for this however if I if I take off that hat and just be honest with you, uh, yeah, it does it does bother me, but 
it doesn't drive me nuts. And to be honest with you, when I'm going to a meeting and bringing the laptop, it's typical that I'm doing something in one of the apps that's either half screen. So, in, you know, in the, I don't remember when this started, but in Mac OS, you can either do one window full screen or you can do t- two tiled side by side. So they're not full screen, but they're in that full screen mode, if that makes any sense. So in any case, um, typically if I'm in a meeting, I'm going to be looking at Slack, which I happen to have sharing a full sharing full screen mode with messages, or I'm using Google Chrome because that's my work email. We're, we're all in on Google apps at work. So I use Chrome as like my work, you know, quarantine where Gmail and Google calendar and all that jazz is. And so if I'm in a meeting, I'm typically working with one of those windows, which is in that full screen mode. If I'm at my desk, I'm usually writing code. And that is a combination of Xcode with taking up most of the screen, a terminal window in the upper right and managed in just, just so, so that it's just so, just like John. And then a uh, the iOS simulator in the bottom right, again, managed so that it's just so. Uh, and that 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 screen, that, that virtual desktop, absolutely gets rejiggered every time I unplug and reopen the computer. But it takes me all of three seconds to get it back to where it is. So it doesn't, it annoys me, but it doesn't bother me. Well, it's usually only got three windows to arrange. That's it's annoying to rearrange three windows. True. Now imagine if you had 30. It gets way more annoying. And at a certain point, you're not going to put 30 windows back. And you're just yeah, going to surrender. The problem, surrender to John, the... the problem, John, definitely isn't the 30 windows. Definitely no, not the problem. No, I, I got 30 things to do. You, you can use more than one desktop, John, and I'm pretty sure you're not doing 30 no, things No, I don't use multiple desktops. That's where That's I the problem. No, it's That's not the problem. problem. That's the solution. I hate multiple desktops. I hate multiple desktops. I hate, I hate spaces. I love that we're that we're talking about this an hour into the show, the the week before the iPhone, <laughs> as foretold by the tweet from somebody <laughs> earlier in the day. Well, I think they use two hours, but we'll allow for uh, exaggeration. Yeah, I mean, and, and I, I just I, I will say one quick thought. <laughs> I bet you will. Wait, really? Yeah, I'm sure this will be quick. Hey, really quickly though, Marco. <laughs> really quickly, do you believe in multiple spaces, or are you a one space only kind of guy? Um, no, I, I don't, I, I tried spaces briefly and I even for a long time, I did multiple monitors, um, instead of doing spaces, I figured like now here's just two physical spaces. Um, and I, I have come to know that I am, I'm a one large monitor and one space kind of person. Oh, you that's the monsters. Way, that's the way to go. You monsters. Just wait until oh, he gets one God. 8K display, then he'll be living large. I know. Oh, well, and, All right. yeah, that's, I have predictions about that probably for the Mac Pro next year. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, but I will right, say, so go ahead with your quick thought. My, my my very quick thought about the Toggle Town. <laughs> TikTok, 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 TikTok. Of uh, of the 2017 inch MacBook Pro, um, or 2017 MacBook Pros. Um, so my my summer of using the MacBook Pro as my primary computer has concluded, uh, and you know using it in clamshell mode with the LG 5K, doing all my regular work. If you can get over the keyboard, which I can't, but if you can get over the keyboard and you can get over the touch bars, just kind of you know floppiness, and in the way that it is, that it is a flop, and not that it is flexible. Um, if you <laughs> if you can get over all that, the ports still really irritate me, and not just in the way that oh no, I have to buy dongles. That's kind of a secondary concern. The biggest problem for me in using this computer is that the USB-C ecosystem still can't produce reliable hardware. Like, there isn't a lot of it. The hardware that's out there is weird and limited, and it's just not reliable. So, thank God I had four ports on this, because 
One of them's going to the monitor. One of them had to be my Ethernet adapter, which is the Apple Ethernet adapter, which is actually made by Belkin. Uh, but it's the one Apple officially sells as the only one they sell. It would drop packets if it was plugged into the Thunderbolt display or any hub of any kind. So you have to plug that into one of the one of the four ports that you have if you're lucky. If you're unlucky, you might only have two of them or one of them. So you you have to plug the Ethernet cable or the Ethernet adapter into one of the four on the computer. I also had problems with my keyboard. I don't know, John. John had the same problem. I don't know if this is a keyboard thing, but my keyboard USB adapter, the little wireless receiver for the Microsoft Sculpt, it would only work reliably when plugged into one of the ports on the computer through Apple's USB A to C adapter. Um, it would not work reliable, reliably in any other place in this setup, either in another USB A to C kind of hub or splitter thing or directly into the LG 5K's ports on the back of it. Only So that's now two things that require to be plugged in to the ports on the computer. Plus the 5K monitor itself, that's number three, which left me only one port on the computer that could be used for like high reliability needs devices. Now, in my case, I considered my audio interface one of those when podcasting, because the last thing I want is to have weird stuff happen to a USB device while I'm using it to record a show. So that's goes, that goes into the fourth one. I'm full. That's it. And they were like, it's just the USB-C ecosystem is so crappy. And Apple is so insistent on relying on it heavily that what we have here is that even on the highest end computers, you have now a port situation that is way less flexible and way less reliable than what we had before. You know, the USB-C way, the USB-C promise, is that you have these ports that are versatile and that can do anything. And that's a great idea. I hope we get there someday, but we're so far from it now. And USB-C is not that new anymore. And I'm starting to wonder, you know, will we ever get there? And in the meantime, what are we supposed to do with these pro computers that are just increasingly difficult to use in pro contexts? You know what pros need? They need reliable hardware. They need reliable ports and as many of them as you can give them. That's what pros actually need. We have unreliable keyboards. We have unreliable ports. We have unreliable peripherals, unreliable dongles. Good luck. If you ever want to have an HDMI output, read the reviews of every HDMI adapter out there for USB-C. It's a disaster zone. And, you know, video out is not an uncommon thing. This entire ecosystem is really crappy. And it it is totally not sufficient enough, not reliable enough, and unbefitting of the pro name to rely solely on this ecosystem of crap hardware plugged into this way fewer ports than we had before on these laptops. And the only ways I can see Apple really meaningfully helping the situation are either give us our ports back, which will never happen, or actually make high-quality USB-C dongles and hubs and adapters and docking stations and everything else, because no one else obviously is or can so Apple shipped that weird hub that we that Tipster rumored for us forever oh, ago. Oh, here we like, go. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The, the, the foundational ATP Tipster rumor, we made fun of it, but now we're begging for the hub, aren't we? We're begging for it. Yes, because, uh, look, you can't rely on the rest of the... It's just like the monitors. You know, Apple tried to rely on third parties to make good monitors. LG tried. It sucks. Uh, so Apple's getting back into the game because they realized or they saw that you know the third party world just didn't didn't and seemingly couldn't deliver deliver on USB-C hubs. 
because that's what all of your pro users buying these pro laptops actually need. We need reliable, useful, many-ported USB hubs. And we don't have those don't exist right now in USB-C. So please, for the love of God, Apple, fix this problem because it, it makes it very, very hard to use your laptops the way you market them to be used if things aren't reliable. My, uh, my adorable works great. So do my Bluetooth uh, accessories. I just want to let you know. Yeah, but you also – like your iMac was turning itself off like intermittently <laughs> for like three months before you told us about it. And you're like, it's not a big deal. <laughs> well, actually, to that end, to that end, I uh, I meant to mention that uh, the in, the infinitesimally small or infinitely small piece of dust that has been migrating around my adorable keyboard definitely made its way under the spacebar briefly until I blew it out with some compressed air. So <laughs> who uses the spacebar? I, I don't think you blew it out. You got to stop saying that you blew it out. You're just moving it around in there. It seems like yeah, exactly. Well, that's true. That's true. You love this keyboard, though. It's great, right? <laughs> No, I do. I, I know you're being silly, but also serious. I do love the keyboard, but I will be. I will absolutely concede after a few months' use that it is not tolerant enough to having any sort of dust getting under. I'm assuming that's what the problem was, but any sort of like debris getting under the keys. I do love it in every other way. I still prefer the Magic Keyboard ever so slightly, but that's that's the you know the the current gen external keyboards, but. But I do love this keyboard, but it is not tolerant enough of the real world. And as much as I'm poking fun at you guys for not liking your MacBook Pros, I think part of the reason I love my adorable so much and can suffer through it having only one port is because it's an accessory computer, which is a totally ridiculous thing to say. But it's the truth. If I really want to get something done, I either have my work, you know, pre pre um, USB-C MacBook Pro or I have my iMac, and, and I don't have port issues on either of those computers. And although the USB-C peripherals that I've bought have been perfectly fine, I'm not, I'm not in a position where I'm relying them for my, for my livelihood like you guys are. So as much as I'm joking and, and poking fun, it's really not an apples-to-apples comparison. It's not fair of me. I think Marco and I have the same problem in that, to varying degrees, we are attempting to connect quote-unquote legacy peripherals to a modern computer like marco has his weird microsoft keyboard which doesn't not is not bluetooth and doesn't know anything about USB-C. and i have my weird ancient uh, discontinued mere months ago apple extended aluminum keyboard which used to be the most modern extended keyboard they sold until they changed to the bluetooth one and i have my totally uh, ancient USB-C belkin ethernet adapter sold in apple stores as of last yeah, year yeah yeah <laughs> that's, that's that's a separate thing yeah like, ethernet is legacy everything is everything's wireless now um but yeah the keyboard thing just really blew me there because you just assume like keyboard and mice they are the the most boring peripherals how could they not work if anything is going to work connected to any kind of adapter that makes a usb surely like the keyboard will that's not a demanding application and you said you had uh reliability problems with it as far as I'm able to tell, it never works with that adapter. So I, there's there's this the, you know the dock thing that had that plugs into both the ports. It has two USB A ports on it, and the keyboard plugged in with or without an extension cable on both sides of the thing, plugged it unplugged fifty times, just nothing. Just like there was nothing there. And even the mini display port adapter, if I unplug it and plug it back in, very often it won't work, and I will have to unplug the main display port from the adapter, unplug the power from the adapter, plug them both back in and then plug the thing back in to get it to just, I don't, I don't even, that's some weird off-brand thing, but I agree that the ecosystem is bad. Um, if we use Bluetooth, everything and had modern peripherals, things would be better, but that doesn't help with like the ethernet situation and the lack of hubs. So 
Not looking great, but I'm sure my new Mac Pro will solve all these problems. Mm. Oh, my God. You know, to be fair, I would argue, just to play devil's advocate, I would argue that Ethernet is also legacy. Like, just Ethernet as a thing. Hold on, hold on. I absolutely love Ethernet. I have pretty much all of my devices on Ethernet. I'm not... I'm playing devil's advocate here, but the future, hypothetically, is wireless. And just a few weeks ago, I was transferring something mammoth uh, between computers. I forget exactly what it was, but I was reminded how much faster Ethernet Ethernet is than any wireless I've ever used. And I completely agree with you guys that given the choice, Ethernet all day, every day. But you could argue, you could make the argument that just the fact that you want to plug in Ethernet is just as legacy as using a USB-A keyboard. Yeah, reliability is legacy. Oh, the USB, <laughs> I, I'll give you this. The Ethernet connector is ridiculous, right? RJ45 or whatever the hell that thing is. That is ridiculous, and that is totally a legacy connector, which is why it's not on computers anymore, unless they're giant desktops, in which case it would still be there. And also, modern wireless standards are faster than gig- gigabit Ethernet. They have faster than gigabit wireless things. They don't have faster than 10 gigabit, because you have 10, 10 gig inter- Ethernet on, you know, super fancy enterprise hardware. And, of course, the new Mac Pro will have 10 gig Ethernet, because why wouldn't it? With the 8K display, you'll have five 10K Ethernet ports, you know. The iMac seven, Pro has it. Seven USB 3.1 ports with A connectors. Boy, this fantasy Mac Pro is looking better all the time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like that mock-up that guy made, remember, like six months ago? with like yeah. It just had like 15,000 ports on the back of it. <laughs> right. It's got, it's got an ADB port VGA. in case you hook up. It, it ADB port in case if so Gruber can hook up his Apple Extended 2 without an adapter. Scuzzy. Yep. <laughs> we are sponsored this week by Betterment. Rethink what your money can do. Visit betterment.com slash ATP to learn more. Betterment is the largest independent online financial advisor. It's designed to help improve your long-term returns and lower your taxes for retirement planning, building wealth, and other financial goals. Betterment takes advanced investment strategies and uses technology to deliver them to more than 270,000 customers. They offer advice that looks at all of your assets. They can give you a clear view of your net worth when you sync your outside accounts, such as bank accounts and other investments, and they can even show you how much your outside brokerage accounts may be costing you in fees and uninvested cash. And Betterment's technology makes investing your money easier. Investing shouldn't be a confusing or frustrating experience. Betterment is built to make managing your wealth an easy and enjoyable experience. And Betterment's tax-saving strategies help increase your after-tax returns. Everything they do is designed to lower taxes and increase returns. On average, their tax-coordinated portfolio can increase portfolio value by an estimated 15% over 30 years. Investing involves risk. ATP listeners can get up to one year managed free. For more information, visit Betterment.com slash ATP. That's Betterment.com slash ATP. Betterment. Rethink what your money can do. There's an event next week, but before we talk about what we hope and lo- and want to see an hour and a half on the show for the for the <laughs> event, let's uh, let's talk about Marco's self-described crazy topic idea. And if I'm reading this right, I actually think this is a really good idea. So tell me, Marco, what's going on? So I, I kind of felt like this would be a good time. It's always hard to know, like after the event to objectively look back on the phones we've had for the last year and to really judge them or to or to know like to look back and say you know what did we really need versus what was what was delivered by the new phone and so i kind of wanted to have what i'm calling here the iphone 7 exit interview 
And I know you think I've never had a job before, but I actually have done a couple of exit <laughs> interviews because one thing I'm good at is leaving jobs. I was jobs. thinking to myself, <laughs> does he really know what this is? I'll just let it go. And then sure enough, I haven't done many of them. <laughs> so basically, I wanted to kind of like, you know, look at looking back now at the iPhone 7, that it is a year old. How has it been for us? What are things that we were concerned about that it ended up not being a problem? And what do we really want from the next phone to solve shortcomings or things that we would like to be improved in the iPhone 7? I wish I had prepared more for this um, because you were, I saw you adding this like 20 minutes ago <laughs> uh, into the show notes. But I, I really like this topic. I think this is a really great idea. And off the top of my head, um, just some immediate uh, ideas. I think uh, well, let me remind everyone, I have an iPhone 7. I do not have the Plus because I am not a, a giant. Um, I do not have the Jet Black model. And because of that, I feel like I don't care for the fact that this thing is still one of the most slippery devices I've ever held in my entire life. However, it is visually, aesthetically, one of my favorite looking devices. I have the matte black and... I think this color is just beautiful and and I love the way it looks. I wish it was tackier, stickier is maybe not the right word for it, but I wish it had that that feel and that grip of the um of the of the jet black, but I love the way this thing looks with the exception of the camera bump. I like the fact that they embrace the camera bump this time rather than in the uh, 6S and maybe the 6 as well, where it was um, kind of like a piece of metal that was not part of the, the case. This feels to be a, you know, a part of the aluminum was kind of blown out to make the camera bump. Um, I don't care for the camera bump. I really wish that would go away. I think the battery life on the 7 has gotten to the point that it is no longer frustrating on a regular basis. If I go to WWDC or something like that where I'm on my phone constantly, I'm fighting thousands of other people for cell coverage, um, then I will need you know a battery pack or something like that. But for my use anyway, day to day, I think this battery is fine. I am sure there is a listener, and it might be you listening to this right now, saying, oh my gosh, Casey is crazy. This battery is nowhere near fine. And for you, that very well may be true. But for me, this is the first phone that it's very rare that I end the day concerned with how low my battery is. So I do very much approve of the battery life. I still want for more. I wish I had an additional 20 to 50% more than I do at the end of the day. But because thin trumps everything with Apple, I don't expect to have that. And for all I know, it might even get worse with this new phone with its even bigger display. Um, the lack of headphone jack doesn't bother me because I am freaking in love with my AirPods. There's been like twice that I've really needed to plug something into this. And, and I think both times I had the little adapter thing with me, unlike John on his flight to uh, London. But Overall, I think this is a damn good phone. It doesn't mean it can't be improved, but I do think this is a really, really, really good phone, and I'm really, really happy with it. And that said, it's about to be ruined uh, when they when Apple tells me about the new phone, and this is going to be an utter piece of garbage, which is exactly why we're doing this today, like Marco said, instead of in a week from now. John. 
So I think I, when we were listing like our maybe the end of last year, like our favorite Apple products, I think I listed my iPhone uh, 7. Uh, I've got the Jet Black iPhone 7 in the Apple leather case, and I said I liked it then, and I really like it now. This is by far my favorite iPhone I've ever owned, which is not, not saying much because I've owned two iPhones. I had a 6, and now I have a 7, so I do not have a long history uh, of phones. But I, I like this better than any of my touches, I feel like, because... Like, <laughs> I hope uh, so. Even just in the moment, like I'm, you know, adjusting for, you know, obviously it's better than now, but even like back when I got them, because I think, as I think I said on a past show, the non-moving home button, I have become a super fan of now, just as they're going to ditch it, of course. Right. Yeah. I love it. Uh, the leather <laughs> case, which, which I lasted like, you know, 24 hours with it and not in a case and I couldn't handle it. So I bought the leather case. The leather case is so much better than my iPhone six leather case. It's just the Apple leather case, black Apple leather case. I love the volume controls on it. I'm good enough now that I can hit the volume controls when my phone isn't in my front in my front or in my back pocket. Why do I have to do that? Because the damn AirPods don't have volume control on it. So I've I've learned this skill, um, but they're they're very reliable. They feel good. I can find them. Um, you know, it it has not steered me wrong. Battery life is sufficient for my needs. Uh, more than sufficient for my needs. Even to the WWDC, I feel like it's okay. I would probably go with the Silly Hump battery pack if I had. Uh, you know, if I did a WWC like thing more often, but I don't, so it's fine the way it is. I like the fact that it's grippy. It's been very reliable. It's felt fast the whole time. The lack of the headphone port burned me twice, maybe uh, once in a big way on, on a six-hour flight to the UK, uh, and once in a small way where I just you know had to couldn't listen to something when I wanted to. Uh, but in the end, it, it was not a big deal in my life. Like it doesn't day to day, it doesn't bother me. I have not encountered situations where I wanted to use headphones and also charge because I'm in the post AirPod age now and I super duper love my AirPods. Maybe the AirPods help cover for the lack of headphone jack, but in the end, even when I was using the wired ones, I thought it was mostly fine. I, I, th- I think I would be more cranky about it if AirPods didn't exist. Let's put it that way, but, uh, but it didn't bother me. But yeah, I, I think it's been great. I really like the product. I like the camera. I like the case. I like how it fits into my life. It is better than the 6. All right, Marco, take us home. Overall, I am way happier with the 7 than I expected to be at its launch. Like, you know, things that I thought would be a problem, the home button being all weird, like John, I thought it was weird for like the first couple of days, and now I actually like it. Like, I actually have converted to it, and now other home buttons feel inferior. I don't know why. It doesn't make sense, but that's how it is. Um, the jet black finish that we were all concerned about all the scratches. Uh, it turns out I never look at the back of my phone. So while it is indeed all scratched up at the bottom, you really only see it at like a certain angle where the light reflects on the scratches anyway. And it just is not a problem in, in real world use for me. I just don't ever look at that. Um, and the jet black finish, because it is a little bit tacky, like you were mentioning earlier, Casey, it allows me to use this phone with no case with no grippy stickers or decals or vinyl wraps for the first time in the entire in this whole design uh, era from the six forward with this shape of phone, um, I, it allows me to use it caseless and it has always been very secure in my hand. I've never even come close to dropping it, so I'm incredibly happy with the physical parts of it. The size is great. I would like the larger screen and better cameras of the plus size, um, but ultimately the size of this just works very very well for me of of just the regular size seven um so i'm very very happy with that 
the camera is amazing. Having the optical image stabilization has made a huge difference, especially in video. Oh, good point. Good point. I mean, the, the, and this is one of the one of the things that I really want from the next iPhone. Hopefully, we're going to get that next week. There, I saw a brief rumor about it, so we'll see. But um, one thing I really want is for the video camera to not make me choose between 4K and 60 frames per second. I want to be able to shoot in 4K at 60 frames per second, and that's a big ask. Um, my, if you look around the rest of the uh, video camera world, uh, very few things shoot at 4K 60. That that is incredibly uncommon. Uh, even even among very high end video cameras, that's still pretty uncommon. Um, but the iPhone, especially you know, with the seven adding the stabilization and everything, um, it has made it very clear to me in in practical usage that the iPhone is the best video camera in the world for almost anything. Obviously, not if you're shooting you know professionally for movies or TV or things like that. But like if you are just a regular person shooting video for your family, yourself, you know, even lower end creative projects. Um, I would say the the iPhone camera as a video camera is world class in practice. It is incredibly easy to use. It that you don't have to really worry too much about focus or audio, both of which are massive pains in the butt on a regular video camera, even good ones. Um, it's just really, really good at, as being a video camera, and a built-in stabilization that helps too. Everything else. So overall, I am very, very happy with camera with the physical form factor uh, the battery has been pretty good for me better than i thought and by far probably the best iphone battery i've ever had still not enough for me most of the time but i would say actually before the ios 11 beta in june it was enough for me most days so ever since the beta that has not been that has not been true anymore unfortunately and that could just be you know weird beta weirdness but even now that we're at the very very late beta stages and the build we have now is probably the gm the battery still is not good enough but it's at least not that far off like casey you know an extra 20 to 50 percent would would probably do it for me headphone jack it was a real pain in the butt when i was on an airplane you know like john airplanes i think are when a lot of people hit that problem um, or if there was a situation in which you you listened a lot while tr- while charging, like at work, um, or you know in you know in various other places, uh, or like in cars, if you use the little plug adapters for for it instead of a Bluetooth adapter, things like that. The only thing out of those that really applied to me in my life was uh, airplane usage. So on flights, I hated it. Um, but I eventually have figured out Bluetooth headphones that aren't so bad for planes. So I switched to those begrudgingly, giving up my awesome wired pair. Um, for portable walking use around town, I was already on Bluetooth, so it didn't matter. Um, AirPods don't fit my ears, unfortunately, but th- that solved the problem for a lot of other people, although also not on planes, because uh, they just leave too much sound in and you can't hear anything. Anyway, so uh, overall, pretty good. One thing also that doesn't get a lot of attention with the iPhone 7 that we might have already forgotten about, the speakers got a lot better, and it used the little the earpiece as a Ooh, second speaker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That helps a lot. Um, it helps especially when you're watching video on the phone. You don't have to like cup your hand around the bottom to try to reflect the sound into your face. Like it's just coming out the front now from the from the ear speaker. So that helped a lot, and it also just got louder when using it, like you know, on a table or windowsill as a podcast speaker. Um, it gets louder for that. So speaker improvement was a, a pretty major upgrade. Um, the one thing I'm I'm hoping that we get with the new phones, you know, we we already are pretty sure that we're going to get. Big screen in a small body. That's awesome and huge. And 
I'm willing to tolerate a lot to get that, as, as I said last episode. The camera is where I, st- where I have a lot of these wishlist items still. I mentioned earlier, 4K at 60 frames a second would be great. Um, I know artistically a lot of people don't like 60, 60 frames per second, but I want that when capturing family videos, and to have more resolution would be nice. Um, so anyway, that's great. Um, I would also like to see on the camera front, make it so that live photos, so that more of the frames in a live photo are full quality than just the middle frame. This is a similar problem to 4K60 in that it's, it, it requires dumping a lot of data off the camera sensor very quickly. And that's, that's usually hardware limited by whatever the sensor can, can push out or, or retain or whatever. Um, that's not an easy problem, but I bet Apple could do it. Also, I would love, you know, in the, in the two camera system that, that the 7S, or sorry, that the 7 Plus got, um, the 2X zoomed in camera is significantly worse optically than the wide angle camera. And that kind of harmed a lot of its usefulness, or it, it reduced, um, you know, the the coolness of that feature for me. Um, the the zoomed in camera it lets in less light, so it's more noisy, um, and it is not optically stabilized. I would love for those problems to be improved upon or eliminated in the next one. So it looks like we're going to get two camera systems again. Anything they can do to reduce the quality difference between the two cameras would be very very welcome. Stabilization would be the most helpful. And if they can't do that, let more light in. Other than that, though, you know, I don't really know. My wish list is is fairly common from what everyone else's. Sure, yeah, make it faster, make the camera better, and you know, uh, and more more battery more battery life because yeah. the the rumors are it's going to be thicker. Yeah, exactly. All right, so we can transition to predictions now. <laughs> Some of book you've already given. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Exactly. So so what are we? So on the iPhone front. They have they have really kept a remarkable lid on secrecy of the physical devices and of the software. Um, software we, is usually kept secret pretty well, so that's nice. Um, but how this phone will use the screen and the weird notch on top is still so unknown. That's very interesting to me. And in fact, like I have done very little work on Overcast's UI for iOS 11 so far. I've been mostly doing under the hood things and fixing table view stuff and stuff like that because I don't want to do any UI design until I use this phone. Because for me, like this could be a dramatic change in how apps are laid out, what kind of gestures they should respond to, what kind of gestures they shouldn't respond to or that don't work very well. Uh, I have, I'm very concerned about this <laughs> the swipe up home button thing that that's going to basically make my now playing card far less useful. Um, so I, I might have to relay that out or reconsider how that's done. I, I, I think it's wise for developers to wait a little bit before you make any major UI decisions uh, for iOS 11 because, again, we have no idea how this phone's going to use that screen. So that's very interesting to me. And, and we're going to learn part of that at the event. But we're not going to really learn a lot of it until we get our hands on these phones for, as our as our primary phones and just l- figure them out and, and you know feel them and use them every day. Um, so that'll be interesting. Um, but otherwise, I do think again it's it's wonderful that we really don't know a lot of the major details here. You know, as much as we learn from rumors and leaks and everything else, the major details th- there's still a lot of holes in that picture. So that's pretty cool, I think, especially so close to the event that we haven't seen like credible parts leaks or you know fully assembled phones or anything like we compared to previous years we know not that much 
major details like jumbo shrimp like we know it's going to be a, <laughs> a, 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 an edge-to-edge screen with a notch on top of an oled screen with stainless steel like we know so much about it we know the dimensions we know the guesses at the screen res we just don't know how the software is going to work as you noted but i feel like we know the same amount as normal all these mock-ups that you see the reason they're able to make these mock-ups is even if they're all just fake like we built something they they have the specs down to the millimeter for this thing and they just not, might not have the surface details right so i feel like we know the same amount as we normally do and it is more exciting stuff this year because it's like oh it's actually a different phone and you know with with the notch and the size and stuff like that but i think for the the one bit that i haven't been keeping up with the rumors so i so maybe we're just gonna sound dumb or i'm gonna sound dumb by saying if you've just been keeping up with the rumors you'd know the answer to this but do you all want to make a prediction about whether this thing will have touch id on the back or not I don't, again, I don't know what the current rumor is. Is that is everyone just saying that it's not a thing anymore, or it's definitely a thing? But what do you think? Will this have, regardless of whether, oh, I don't think it'll have Touch ID, just this one question, will it have Touch ID on the back of this phone or not? No. No. Is that because you've the rumors all say no? Yeah. Or no. Just... <laughs> oh, do, do they? Uh, I haven't kept up yeah, as much. No. As, okay. Well, I, I was going to guess no, just based on the the possibilities of the the rumors about the software swipe up and stuff because if they're gonna do stuff like that and they have face recognition like it's it's so clear that they're all in on the front of the phone and honestly i really don't want there to be touch in the back because i'm a case user and as we discussed before i don't want to have a lint-filled belly button to poke my finger into in the back so i'm <laughs> i'm gonna say no both because i hope it and because it, most of the mockers i've seen haven't had it either so that makes me kind of sad because i really like touch id and the yeah, face stuff is, is still a big question mark, but it seems like we're all thinking. Well, that. so slow down. So slow down. Let's talk about that. So in my opinion, the only way that the face ID or whatever it's called, I think Pearl is like the internal code name. The We'll call it face ID for now. The only way that face ID is going to be okay in my book is if it's at least as reliable and fast as touch id so similar to john's question a minute ago yes or no do you think starting with marco do you think that this face id thing will be as good and as fast and as reliable as touch id to the to the point that you will not end up missing touch id yes or no i think it will be at least close enough that we won't care that's a cop out but i'll allow it it might not be at least as good or better in all those metrics, but anything that it is worse at, I bet it'll still be close enough that we won't care. So this question is supposing that they haven't done Touch ID under the screen, right? Like the, this phone not only yes. will have it on the back, but now we're saying won't have it at all, and the only thing it will have is face. That I is think, how I meant it, yeah. All right, so I don't think that any face thing they have will be... I, I can't imagine a situation where it'll be as fast and as convenient as current Touch ID. Because current Touch ID is really, really fast. I can have my thumb on it before I get it out of my pocket, at what point the cameras are useless, right? So no matter how fast it is, it's already unlocked by the time the camera sees my face in right now, right? So nothing can beat that in terms of actual efficiency. As Marco said, though, all right, fine. But is it less efficient? Do you care? Do you care that it is, that it is a little bit slower? Because there's a trade-off there, like, okay, well, it's a little bit slower, but you don't have to fish around for the button in your pocket. And there is some utility to that as well. So I 100% believe that Apple can make Face ID so that I don't care about the lack of Touch ID, uh, but, I, but I don't think it's possible to be as efficient as Touch ID, and I have my doubts that their first crack at Face ID will be... Uh, 
good enough that I don't miss Touch ID because like this is going against the second generation or is it third? I forget, but second generation of Touch ID second. that is uh, that is phenomenally good. Like that's one of the reasons I love. I think I mentioned one one in that show where I said the iPhone Seven was my favorite Apple device of the year. I love the fast Touch ID. I love it to pieces, right? And so I it makes me and that's one of the reasons I don't like the Touch ID on my on my twenty seventeen MacBook Pro. It's not as fast as it is on my phone, right? So I think it is possible that in their first crack at Face ID, uh, it will I'll, I will feel the loss of Touch ID if Touch ID isn't there. Hope it's not true, but anyway, I totally believe by their second crack at Face ID, I'll be in the Marco zone where it's like, nah, it's a wash. Yeah, we'll see. I, I think I think Marco nailed it that it will be sufficient that it won't drive us bananas, but we'll, we may still miss it, uh, miss Touch ID that is, and Face ID will be sufficient, but. Uh, I'm very curious and, and slightly nervous. Like, you know, if I hadn't learned from from my past and Apple's past, I would absolutely absolutely be going on a tirade right now about how, oh, there's no way that, that Face ID could be even near as good as Touch ID. But if there's anything I've learned over the years is that just because I don't understand how something could possibly be as good as what it replaces doesn't mean that Apple also doesn't understand it. You know, typically Apple does something to amaze me and 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 stupefy me with these sorts of moments. So I have faith, but I am slightly nervous. So before we get off of this whole topic, uh, prediction on will there be Touch ID anywhere on this phone, just to, to nail down a prediction? I would say hmm. no, but I think the rumors are going to are, are saying yes right now. I personally say no, and, and somebody mentioned that ATP Tipster in the chat had mentioned that it is still there. I didn't personally see that. Um, I don't think it'll be there, but I am I am not terribly confident about that. I mean, Tipster in the chat, I think, is the only person I'm seeing who is still saying <laughs> that it's there. Everyone else, I think, has assumed or has actually said, no, it's gone. I hope it's still there, but I bet it isn't. Yeah, I'm with Marco. I really, really hope it's still. I really hope they figured out a way to get it to work under the screen, something like that. But if I had to put money, I would say I lean slightly towards it's not going to be on the phone. I do hope they do uh, ProMotion or whatever they're going to call if they do 120 hertz refresh rate. Oh yeah, you know, I, I would be 100. I think it's got to have that. It's got to have ProMotion. Is OLED good enough to do that? I don't, I don't actually know. Like, can you get an OLED screen of that size to to do 120 hertz? I don't. I don't know if that's if that's a not. I don't know if that's a limiting factor. If that's a limiting factor, then you know, then oh well. But like, I really hope it has it because like the phones still don't have True Tone, right? Uh, that's true. Have, Probably yeah, not. They don't have room for the sensor. I yeah. hope this isn't one of those situations because I feel like it's not. They don't need to find room for another sensor. They just need to crank it. And if it's the one thing this phone is going to have, it's plenty of grunt CPU and GPU. So I feel like there's no reason they can't do promotion. So I'm I'm 100% predicting promotion. I'd be really upset if it doesn't have it. Yeah, I really hope they do because on the on the new iPads, it looks it's so pleasant to use that. It looks so good. You know, I just I described it before as it's like Retina for motion. And you know, in in practice, now that it, now that it's been kind of like a, you know, it's it's been a few months since getting the new iPads, it isn't that it isn't as big as Retina was even for motion. Like it isn't it isn't quite that big, but it's really nice, and I would really like to have it if I can. I have to say that I I set up my dad's new ten point five inch uh, you know thing uh, iPad with promotion on vacation for him, and not that I wasn't impressed by it, like I could see it, but it was way more subtle than I thought it would be. And so I'm I'm totally all for this feature. I want it to be everywhere, so on and so forth. But it was, 
less noticeable to me than I thought it would be. And I was looking for it. My dad, of course, has no idea. What, I didn't even bother trying to tell him because <laughs> he, he can't even tell retina from non-retina. So slightly pivoting on, on this new phone topic, what is the feature or features that Apple will be um, marketing in order to make the non pro or non edition or whatever the, the you know thousand plus dollar phone is what are the uh, the regular iphone 8 and 8 plus or, or 7s and 7s plus whatever the hell they're called what are they going to get that's going to be enough to convince people to upgrade i mean the obvious answer is oh it'll be a better camera oh it'll be faster oh it'll potentially maybe have more ram and or potentially maybe more, more storage. ram whoa whoa, whoa. you know i'm just so, i'm just I'm spitballing. I'm spitballing. i know i know i know i know i'm spitballing. <laughs> but my, you, you see what i'm driving at though like is it just going to be basically a spec upgrade on some or all the things i'm specifically looking at cpu and, and camera hardware or do you think there's going to be some other nifty trick like maybe as an example and and i don't think this would be the case but as a silly example will face id be across the entire line and there will be no touch id or only touch id under the screen everywhere or maybe as a different approach maybe touch id is under the screen in the iphone 8 and either is also under the screen in the 8 edition or 8 pro um or it isn't on the 8 edition or the 8 pro because face id is only on that you're confusing me with your with your names i know well uh, they're, they're, because we don't know 7, what they're called 7s and 7s plus and 8 is okay or, or is it one that's fine we'll, we'll go with that well let's go with that not so, that we're predicting those are the names but just for discussion well but even even on the names though like i, I would say there's there was a great discussion on upgrade about this during their draft episode today it makes the more I think about it, the more sense it makes that it is not seven S and eight. Oh yeah, no, I'm, I'm just saying like that. That's a way we can refer to them, so we all know what we're talking about. The names are a separate discussion of what they'll actually be called, and that's always the trickiest to predict because Apple is historically very weird about names. Well, but it, I think it does lead to the question of what what is in the you know the the smaller or lesser eights. You know, or whatever they are, like. Oh, so you're confusing me again in the, in the 7s thingies. Well, because so yeah. so so, so, so you know, think about this. All right, so I, I think it makes the most sense to have these be marketed together because they don't want everyone to regret not getting the big one if they have to get you know like the the boring ones like you know like, yeah that, that's the best case scenario is this is a family of phones that all have the same external appearance that all have oled screens which is i'm saying this is best case scenario all have oled all have the same like external case appearance whatever it is stainless steel glass bat, whatever the hell it's going to be and then you have no problem then you just pick some naming scheme that whatever you come up with for the naming of them uh it's fine you start to run into problems though like casey was saying is if the only thing you can unify them with is external case design and two of them essentially are seven s's and one of them is clearly an eight and then whatever you name them it's really kind of hard to convince people that those aren't the lesser phones right and so that's why i think you know naming wise i think this ties in i would go with iphone 8 8 plus and either pro or 8 pro and the reason so pro is a very a pretty well understood word in apple marketing what pro means is the biggest and the best. That's what it like across the whole rest of the lineup. That's what that means. And they use it not to suggest that you have to be professional to buy this product, whatever that means. Right. But as it, it kind of self segments people and it gives people who aren't buying the pro 
permission not to buy it. It lets them be happier with a lower-end purchase because they don't think they need the pro stuff. And it lets people who think they need the best or who are, want to do video editing and have been convinced through years of, com- of computer marketing that you need something named pro to do video editing, um, it convinces them that the, you know people, who, people will self-select and say, well, I'm a professional. I need the best. I will get the pro, the expensive, bigger, better one. And it gives everyone else permission to buy the regular lower ones without feeling like they're buying something, you know, low end or cheap or or bad. And that's what Apple needs to happen here because they aren't going to be able to produce the the pro one in volume. They're not, you know, it's going to be more expensive. It's going to like they need the regular iPhones to also seem really great. And so that's why I think the naming is going to be across the way, eight across all of them, and just the the high-end one is Pro. And iPhone 8 will mean a certain amount of core features. I think CPU, GPU, maybe even most of the camera functionality will be the same across all of them. The other ones might even get wireless charging, because we haven't talked about that yet really either, but has been heavily rumored that there's going to be some kind of wireless charging, um, you know, thing add-on purchase after the fact. Apple's really good at coming up with ways recently to make you spend an extra one to two hundred dollars on accessories to your devices, <laughs> and that's not an that's not an accident. Um, but anyway, every iPhone up, update to date has been pretty substantial from the one before it. Even the ones that at the time people kind of poo pooed because they weren't enough. If you look back and you look at like all the components that were upgraded and everything else, like it ends up there were all pretty good updates. And I don't think this is going to be any different. They're not they're not going to like crap out an update to the two like consumer grade or whatever we're going to call them iPhones. I think the components across all of them are going to be very very similar, with a few exceptions for the big one. The big one's going to obviously have the very different screen. The the other two, I don't think, are going to be OLED. And they're going to be LCD, regular IPS LCDs that we've had forever. They're going to be the same old form factors. Maybe you know updated case design with the new you know stainless steel band with glass in front and back. Maybe that I don't know. Doesn't honestly matter that much in that regard. Most of the camera upgrades I think are going to happen across the line, with the exception that I don't think the 4.7 inch smaller phone is going to get dual cameras. I think they're still going to have problems with fitting that in there while also fitting in like the forehead and chin components and the LCD screen. Um, the so, Pro will also have a better front-facing camera, I bet, for Face ID. Yeah, I, w- I would guess you're right because it looks like, you know, based on APIs and stuff, it looks like the front might be getting dual cameras or at least a camera with a depth sensor so that we're going to have like, you know, better portrait mode. That whole thing about adding better portrait mode, that, all, that might be Pro only. Uh, I don't know if the if the lower end ones are going to get uh, the IR depth sensors or not, um, and if they don't, they wouldn't get Face ID. So I'm guessing the Pro, the exclusive features to the Pro are probably depth camera things, dual front camera, um, dual back camera in the small size, uh, Face ID, obviously the big screen with the notch, and uh, that might be all. Like I, I wouldn't expect. Major difference. I, I, yeah, I think wireless charging goes across all of them. I think any CPU and GPU update goes across all of them. RAM probably goes the same across all of them. Like I bet it's the same system on a chip in all of them. Um, or maybe the Pro might be slightly overclocked, but it, probably not. I'm guessing even that's the same. Because they really have to make sure that 
most of the people who were going to want to go buy iPhones buy the regular ones and not the Pro. And they therefore, they have to make sure that the marketing does not like denigrate it or make it seem like it's an inferior product. So hold on, though. So if I don't think I'm interested in the Pro or perhaps Edition, and my money is on Edition the more I think about it, but be that as it may. Um, no, Edition, be edition. <laughs> edition is so. a failed name. Yep. <laughs> edition uh, died with the Gold Edition. Even though I know they still sell the white one, which is way better. It, yeah, that... There's a reason why even Apple can barely bring themselves to talk about the edition watches anymore, even though they still sell one. <laughs> I don't know. I think in a lot of ways it makes sense, but that's irrelevant. So the 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 question I'm I'm still not hearing a clear answer to is if I don't think I want the Pro, what am I getting from the non-Pro iPhone? So you're saying obviously better camera hardware, possibly new case, and possibly inductive charging and that's it. Well, you're getting the same thing you got from six to seven, right? So it's the same size, the same screen resolution, essentially the same screen, but you get a better camera, faster CPU, faster GPU, better battery life, and in this case, you actually also get a different case too, slightly different uh, aesthetic uh, case. So it's a pretty big upgrade. And by the way, if I had to nail down like the like I gave the best case before, they're a family and they all have a lid and blah blah blah. The more realistic case is, as Marco said, LCD only on the non fancy one. I'm also going to say no wireless charging on the non-fancy ones, too. I feel like that's going to be a, a pro-only feature, if it exists at all. Well, but they really want to sell you that $150 wireless charging thing. I, though. I, I think just because it is, it's a good differentiator, and honestly, I don't think out of the gate it'll be all that popular. People love plugging their phones in. They have things to plug them in. I think it's it, it should get its test run on the, on the low-volume pro to see what kind of appetite there is for it. Um, and because I agree with you that there's there there's not going to be that much differentiation when it comes down to it beyond the, the the physical form factor that this is an additional differentiator that everybody understands. Like you want the pro and only the pro ones got wireless charging, but no one's going to say, "Oh, I'm not going to buy the non-pro ones," because they have no expectation of wireless charging. Like it doesn't feel crappier. Uh, they're like, "Oh, I just plug my phone in; it's fine." Like I don't, I don't want to buy a hundred dollar wireless charging thing anyway. Right? It's only people with money to burn. So that's that's my prediction that if it exists, it's pro only. All right, so what else are we predicting? I do expect the iPhone SE to get an update, but not this fall. It's going to be updated at the special event with the Mac Mini, right? Yeah, right. No, no. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, like, I'm guessing, you know, because the first iPhone SE came out in, a, in springtime. I'm guessing it's going to be similar here because they, the SE is a product that has sold way better than they thought it would. It is a product that to keep pushing into more markets that they, that they don't, that they're not very dominant in, I think they should keep selling it, and I think they know that too. And it doesn't seem to cannibalize sales of the bigger phones to a meaningful degree, uh, so that's great. But they don't—they—they they probably shouldn't update it at the same time as the bigger phones because I think it might cannibalize slightly more if they did. It, it won't—it won't match them too. It's not going to be—it's right. not going to look—it's not going to be of a piece with the other ones with the you know new external design. So they're our family. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and it might not be even after it's updated, you know? So it, anyway, I do think they were, they are going to update the SE or at least the role the SE plays in the lineup, but not probably not until next spring or summer. So anyway, <laughs> so moving on to other products. So 4k, 4k Apple TV. I sure hope so. I, I think that's based on the rumors. That sounds likely. I sure hope so because the Apple TV needs help. We're going into a holiday season, 
and it is probably the least desirable of all the TV set-up boxes for most people. It's already the most expensive. It's already has the worst remote in history in the history of TV remote devices. Like it 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 needs a lot of help. So if it, this is a great time, I really really hope they add you know 4K, redesign the remote and have some kind of story for 4K content. A basic story could just be as simple as Look, we have Amazon and Netflix having 4K in their apps. That that's good. I would say that's a minimum that what you need. I really hope they also have a story for buying 4K movies and 4K TV shows from iTunes. That would be great. Uh, I really hope they do that. Even if they don't, though, they should just ship the hardware. Like, don't. I, if I hate waiting for hardware for content deals, just ship it. Just like you said, like Netflix will be useful. We can look at the menus and for it, just ship. And no, you know, the hardware is done. Just ship it. And then work, whatever you can't get <laughs> yeah. stupid deals worked out. can't agree on how much they're going to cost. Work that out later. We'll get it in a software update. Just ship the hardware. Especially because like the, hmm, the deal making department at Apple mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. seems like it has been underperforming in recent years. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't, yeah, the last thing I want is for, you know the hardware and the ability of other apps that could do 4k just fine to be held back because the deal making department can't make content deals anymore now i can imagine uh the you know they'll ship the hardware and it will come well, i don't even know what what are they up to tvos uh four what are the it's just i think it just matches itunes or uh, uh, ios it, versions uh, yeah 11 i can't keep track but yeah. anyway uh there's obviously hevc crap that they need that's part of that so it yeah. could be that the 4k apple tv doesn't ship until the tvOS equivalent of iOS 11 is ready for it, so there could be a couple week delay in that or whatever. tvOS 11 is that what it's called? I don't yes. even know. I mean, it, they don't really talk about the OS on TVO on the TV. It doesn't really matter, honestly. Right, but but it's but but it's totally the iOS 11 based tvOS that has the HEVC stuff that they need for 4K. That's it. I'm also I'm uh, one of the wild cards for me for Apple TV prediction is I wonder you know assuming they have redesigned their remote which we've heard from a few different places and and I hope it's true I'm so dreading that like now I know I, know, I right? want the remote to be changed <laughs> but it's like oh god what are they, what are they because they had two remotes so far and both of them I'm not a fan it can't get worse than this one like, more than two they have three remotes it can't they possibly remember, get worse yeah yeah they had the white, the white plastic, plastic one. One. right yeah, yeah a series of remotes that it makes me feel like they're just they're not getting it like <laughs> They're they're trying, I guess. They're every like five, every five years, they make a new remote. But I just hope someone says, "Look, look how big my hands are. Look how look how small the couch cushion cracks are. Just give me <laughs> give me a TiVo peanut, and you know, or I'll just use a uh, spare TiVo remote. I left the TiVo remote at the vacation house, by the way, so I'm down one TiVo oh, no. remote. I, I oh, knew I could no. buy an aftermarket one. It's like, why are you buying a seventy dollar Bluetooth TiVo remote to use with my Apple TV? <laughs> Yeah, so anyway, uh, I I hope that in the process of them hopefully redesigning this remote, I would like to see a little bit more of a nod towards gaming uses. Uh, what, you know, the, the Apple TV, I, in, I would say... The, the remote? Yes. Like So the, the App Store situation I don't think has panned out the way Apple expected it to and the way most of us hoped it would. Uh, there really have not been, you know, must-have apps on Apple TV that were anything beyond video apps for content services. And that's fine. That's what most of us want most of the time, it turns out, to nobody's surprise. But the the gaming situation, I, like, first of all, like, other types of apps, like, you know, people were, like, in the, when they demoed it, they had, like, a real estate browsing app and catalogs that you were supposed to, like, browse catalogs on your TV. Nobody does that. Uh, but 
the two big ones that are obvious that most people want to do on their TV is watch a video and play games. And the video thing, I think they have pretty well down. You know, there's some rough edges here and there, uh, but you know, it at least it it serves that purpose pretty well. The gaming thing, I, I think there's a number of issues that have prevented that from really taking off. There are a few good games on the Apple TV, but not many. And the as far as I understand the. Uh, financial upside of those for their makers has been pretty low, and that's one of the reasons we haven't really seen a lot of them. Um, one of the things that could fix that, I mean, obviously there's lots of App Store improvements that could fix that or or could help that, but one of the things that could really help that also is no one is buying a $50 controller for their Apple TV. I have. I've bought two of them, but I'm weird, and they aren't very good, and I kind of regret having bought them. Like, no one's buying them. What Apple needs to do is to have every Apple TV that is sold be able to play a reasonable number of games with the remote that it comes with. That doesn't necessarily mean it has to be a giant gamepad, but it has to be a little more game accessible than the Siri remote that we've that we've had so far, which basically has one button that games can use. Uh, it needs it needs more than that. Um, so that would I hope we see something like that. I don't. I'm not confident that we will necessarily. I think they're just going to give us another re, a redesigned version of the Siri remote with no additional functionality, really. And you know, if that's what we get, fine. I, I would still be happy with that. That's still better than the remote we have now. But I think it would be a missed opportunity if they didn't take this chance to improve the prospects of gaming on the Apple TV. I reject this plan uh, <laughs> for two reasons. Okay. One. Oh, here we go. I want the redesigned remote to be you to be a good remote for the common case and i don't want any gaming functionality compromising it in any way and two if you don't want to make it a full-fledged controller there's going to be no analog sticks it's going to basically be oh it's great for playing nes and snes games and i feel like that is not sufficient to fill the role that you're trying to say which is like look there's some you can play reasonable games on it because in my world reasonable games are not only things that are controlled with a d-pad you have to have uh at least one analog stick, preferably two, and you just can't put that on a remote that is good for the common case for TV. I'm all for Apple shipping an actual real gaming remote with the Apple TV by default as part of their astronomically high price, but we know that's never going to happen. So I'm saying Apple continue to be really bad at games and game hardware and just ship it with a decent remote for the TV. I understand where you're coming from, where you want it to, you want a gaming ecosystem to flourish a little bit there by having something, but I, I feel like the gaming control that you can fit into a remote that is still essentially a tv remote is not good enough to fill that role yeah i don't know plus plus there's a switch have you played sonic mania you really like it i've started to i haven't gotten through a lot of it yet because i i, I keep saving it to play with adam but i have started to play it and i am so incredibly happy with it i it just it makes me so happy it is so good and anybody who's a fan of the old 16-bit sonic games for the sega genesis must play sonic mania it is so so good all right apple watch yes or no uh, i think yes uh i am slightly in favor of it being with lte i think it's going to happen not terribly confident what i'm unsure of though is will you be able to place a phone call via lte or will it be data only like an ipad and I want the answer to be that you can place a phone call only because I want it in like, oh, crap scenarios like, oh, crap, I just broke my leg as I'm off for a run. But I suspect that if it gets LTE at all, it will not be supportive of a phone call, much like the iPad. I think 
If it gets LTE, it will keep the same form factor because it'll need more battery. Um, I think there'll be intelligent. I'm not the first person to come up with this, but I think there'll be intelligent switching as to whether or not LTE is on. So it will be off until it can't find a con- inter- an internet connection any other way. Um, I I think if it doesn't have LTE, then the form factor might get thinner. But I think they are going to stick with the same uh, not lugs. I don't think that's the word I'm looking for, but the same design for the connector for the uh, watch bands so that even if it gets a little bit thinner, your existing watch bands will still work. Uh, that's my two cents. Marco. So I, you know, I have a, I have a love hate relationship with the Apple watch. Um, there's a love part. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's useful sometimes. I, I want it to be a better watch than it is, but it seems like Apple thinks it's good enough as a watch and that the market is very clearly telling them this is a fitness tracker primarily for for most people it is a fitness tracker and maybe a notifications display and so it's hard for me to argue against the entire rest of the market i would love for it to to move in the direction of telling time more reliably like look and maybe looking better while doing it uh that would be nice but the market is telling it differently that you know it's it seems by all accounts to be selling pretty well uh, as mostly a fitness device so I I think what they will do is to keep pushing it in that direction, and that means thing that you know that means probably a cellular option so that you can take it without having your phone with you and have it you know behave as a stand-in phone, um, you know things like that because a lot of like you know joggers and things really need it to they really want to be able to run without their phone, and right now they run with like big phone armbands or belt clips and they're clunky and nobody really likes them and so. Apple will do with the watch what it takes to sell to more fitness type roles because that is where it succeeds. So that's why they added GPS in the series two and full waterproofing and, and, you know, full like swimming capability and stuff. And that's why they, they keep working on things like new workout functionality um, and why like the smart watch faces haven't gotten very smart and there seems to be very little effort for them to move in the direction of having an always-on uh, or at least ambient mode type screen. Um, you know, things that would make it a better watch or a better wrist computer, they have not really invested heavily in those areas where they are investing heavily as fitness areas because that's where it's selling. So, again, what I would like is very different than what they will do, um, but that's fine because I like regular watches so much I don't wear the Apple Watch most of the time and I would rather have a regular watch that is that has its screen always on <laughs> and always tells the time uh, with, with that and doesn't require me to bring a charger on, on trips. So it would be, I, I am curious to see what they do with it, but I, I'm not hopeful that it's going to change my outlook on the watch for myself. I do think whatever they do will probably be successful. One of the reservations I have though, is that if they, if they do what people expect them to do and make it cellular, the entire watch OS, like a, as a as an OS as a platform, uh, really is designed to be a satellite device of a phone. And granted, phone you know the phone was first devised to be a satellite device of your Mac, so you know that it's not to say that they can't ever break it away from that. But watch OS needs a lot of work to make it meaningfully good to use. I think as a standalone cellular connected device. And I don't think they're doing that yet, or I think it would be unrealistic to expect them to do that this quickly based on what we've seen so far. 
So I, I don't know how a cellular watch would work in practice. And so I, I, that remains to be seen. I'm a little skeptical on that front, but I do expect that's probably what they're going to do. If they do a cellular watch, will there be any sort of negotiation, at least with American carriers, about how that is handled from a pricing standpoint? So do you think they'll say, oh, okay, here's your cellular watch, and by the way, we've talked to the major U.S. carriers, and it's not going to cost you any extra money on any of your plans? Or do you think they'll just leave that entirely to the carriers to utterly fleece us as they are off to do? Oh, it's definitely going to cost extra money. The only question is maybe they got a good deal. Like maybe it'll only cost ten bucks a month, you know, as opposed to more. You know, like that's that's the more likely situation there. It, there's it, there's no way it's free. Uh, I I I think there were already the the beginnings of various moves by the carriers to to enable technologies for things like um, having multiple devices share the same phone number. So that like you could like your if your watch was away from your phone and they both have cell connections, that like they could both ring. And you could pick up on your watch. Like, I think there is something about that I read recently that like that's in progress or that's being deployed slowly. Um, so like, you know, th- there is carrier involvement probably here to make this stuff happen. Uh, but there's no way that's coming without an additional monthly fees. Thinking about the watch, and now I'm starting to think like how much stuff is going to be in this event. Obviously, they got to have time for the phones. I, you would think maybe that they would do the phones as here are two new phones and, the, and then there's one more thing, whether they say that or not. And then there's the fancy one. I guess that depends on how they end up naming the thing. It would work better if we didn't all know the notch phone was coming. But anyway, who knows what they'll decide there. Then you got the Apple TV, which is a good warm up thing of like, yeah, yeah, that could be the first thing they announce. It's short. No one really cares that much. We all look at the remote. Fine. The middle thing could be a watch, but I don't know. Is that... Is that too much? Will they have to spend not as much time on the watch? And I think it works out if the watch is not externally changed too much. You mentioned the the strap lugs being the same, which seems like a gimme. But if the external design is also pretty much not changed, it's like the, what are we on, the third iteration of the Airstream trailer now? Right? You get zero, one, <laughs> two. Right? That's fine, I guess. I With, with, the, with the cell connection in the phone, I think uh, that's a reason they would have to keep the Airstream look because they just need all that battery. Right? It's going to you know that's got to be tough on the battery so presumably all the internals are get yet more efficient right and what do you do with that extra battery now we can have lte um i guess maybe that you would consider that not a very exciting watch update but to show anything about it at all you've got to show the hardware and then also the software and do some silly demos of how or a video or something of how lte works um, I mean, we haven't gone on to other things, but I guess, like, is this it for the event? I, because I could, I think the watch does, to be clear, I think the watch does need to be updated, and it would totally fit in this event, and, you know, now would be the time to do it, so they should. Um, but is that it now? Now we we have a full event, Apple TV, new Apple Watch, new phones, and that's it? I mean, that's three new phones, one of which is especially groundbreaking. Uh, <laughs> the Apple TV, you know, and, and, you know, Apple TV going 4K and and you know having a little new remote and everything and and getting 4k content being sold through itunes that's not that much time on stage really like that's even if they pad it with a demo which doesn't make a lot of sense but even if they padded it with a demo that's probably under five minutes uh, definitely under 10 um so i I think stage time wise we're mostly being mostly spending time on the iphone because and even if they had cellular for the watch that that also is not a huge time taker in the event that you know they can probably get through the whole watch segment in 20 minutes at most 
Yeah, the phone is going to be so long though because it's not it's three phones and they have to do they have to really talk up the first two to make you think like if this was all there was it would be a great update year but <laughs> wait there's there's even more and they're just going to spend so much time on that cuz this is like this is like the most important uh marketing presentation they give all year every year. And this time it's like did you get it? It's actually three separate devices. <laughs> three separate <laughs> devices. Yeah. Uh, it, that showmanship, even just the showmanship to do the first two and to say, aren't these phones great, but there's one more thing. Like, Jobs would have loved that if everything hadn't leaked. But I don't think whoever they have presenting these phones will even make a feint in that direction because we all know, they know that we know that they know that we know that, you know, the notch is coming. I'm mad that I flubbed it. It's, <laughs> are you getting it? <sighs> yeah, yeah. Damn it. It's yeah. all right. Oh, and also, you know, speaking of Steve, like this is their this is their first event in the Steve Jobs Theater of their new campus. So yeah. they're probably going to spend a couple minutes on that. All right. So it's, it's, uh, that's probably going to be the opening. I, I, I'm guessing that gets two to three it's minutes. One, one, one picture and, and two sentences. Yeah. Well, only if they don't mention their campus. Yeah. If they actually mention their campus, you know, then yeah, we're, we're spending two or three minutes on this probably. But that's fine. I, I'm curious to see it, honestly. I, whatever they say about it, I want I want to see. The theater? If- it's just going to be a big screen and a stage. Like, is the inside of that theater anything special? I mean, it's nice that it's there. I'm sure it's a really nice theater. Oh, no, no. I'm saying, like, the whole, you know, I want to, like, you know, anything they're going to say about the whole campus, you know, they're probably, they're probably going to give, like, a, a very brief introduction to the campus. Thanks for having us, et cetera. Okay. And then they're going to go over probably the most boring stuff first. So probably, like, the Apple Watch update first, then TV. Actually, maybe TV first. TV's no, pretty boring. TV's before watch. Yeah, TV's TV first, watch. then watch, and then they're going to get into the phones. I, I don't expect... I, maybe they could do like a HomePod update, but I don't think the HomePod is ready to ship yet. And I also don't think there's that much more to say unless it's ready to ship. What about the giant Mac Pro teaser video? How about that, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I hope not. Oh my god, I hope. And not. like on upgrade, they had like a bet. They were trying to bet like whether they yes. would even mention the Mac at all. <laughs> Eighty to one odds against the I, Mac. I, I Pro honestly people. think they're like. It is it no, is a valid is... question, like whether the Mac will be mentioned at all in the entire presentation. No, why why would it be? Is the Mac is the Mac ever mentioned at the phone event? Well, here's a question: Do you think High Sierra is ready? Because some of the beta people are saying it's really not. I, even if it is, they're not going to. No, I don't. I haven't been using the betas, but my impression is that October. I mean, I think they can announce it like you know it'll be ready by the end of October at the latest. But why would they say anything about it? We all know about High Sierra; they've talked about it plenty. It'll come when it comes. There's no reason to mention it. Maybe like here's one final thing for this uh, iOS 11 date. Do we get that at the event? Oh yeah, I, I, they're, oh, they're yeah. definitely going to announce that. I mean, because it's probably going to be like within a week or something. iOS 11 is going to be soon after that. Yep, I, I agree. I'm just wondering, like, you know, some they might just be like, uh, you know, the the new iPhones ship on such and such a date, and we all know they're coming with 11, but they never actually say iOS 11 for everybody else is coming on whatever date, because that is an announcement that does fit into. Now they always tell us it'll, they're probably going to give a GM that day. And then, you know, and then the the full iOS 11 ships to customers, you know, a week later or or five days later, something like that. It's not yes, going to be a big that, a big gap there. And all Steve like Trout and Smith has been doing the diffs on the builds and now they're like really tweaking small things in each of these builds. So it seems like it's pretty much ready. The only thing is that, you know, whatever whatever API changes are, are going to be required or enabled to take advantage of the new phone screen shape and size and any possible like you know ir depth stuff those are probably all going to be enabled at the very last minute in, in the sdk um like you know the, the day of the event like that's going to be brand new in the gm and none of the developers will have ever seen that stuff before or at least um some of it, <laughs> i'm so. sure i'm sure uh, you know all those if defs coming to life won't affect their code yeah <laughs> 
<laughs> well, this is again, this is one of the reasons why, like, why I said earlier, I I really am I'm not doing any UI work on Overcast yet because I want to see how things change because I know they will, and it's I, I think it's like the, I'm I'm really delaying my iOS 11 UI refresh until you know probably the winter time because I really want to do it right for these new for these new phones and and uh, to do that right requires me to use it. All right, we're running long, so which is of no great we're surprise. Running long. So let's that's <laughs> uh yeah, I know, right? Uh so let's maybe round this out with a wild card prediction. Something that and and you can specify one way or the other. Either the one thing that you don't expect that you really want or what I'd prefer you answer, but you know, go whichever way you'd like. The one thing that we haven't really talked about but you expect to be there. And so if I will start to get to kind of get you um thinking about it i think that if we're doing this at apple park or apple campus too whatever it's called apple park and this theater was presumably presumably built in large part for this very moment i think there's going to be some sort of showy like um I can't think of how to verbalize this, but like something will come up from the floor in a way that we've never seen before. Like there'll be some like whiz bang showmanship things that are enabled by this new space that they had complete control over. The whole building just takes off. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it spins. It spins so fast that it eventually takes off and or travels back in time. That's a reference <laughs> that neither of you will get. Nope. But anyway, um, I think that there'll be some sort of like interesting thing that that is never been done before and yes okay so like sam the geek in the chat is saying we've seen things emerge from the floor i'm just using that as like an illustrative example but i think there'll be something about it that makes it more fancy and whiz bang than anything we've seen from an apple product demo before certainly recently that's my wild card prediction so john what do you think either something that we haven't really talked about that you really expect to happen or if you want to cop out something that you just really wish would happen that hopefully isn't the mac pro uh that may or may not actually happen first of all i just want to say i hope that the thing you predicted doesn't happen because <laughs> that, <laughs> that's like i don't think that uh, not that it's in poor taste but that's not the modern apple sensibilities for that type of thing i hope that the inside of the theater is just a really nice theater with a really awesome projection and comfy seats for a thousand of your closest friends, uh, and that's it. Uh, it could have stage lifts, but I feel like they, that's kind of gimmicky, and I hope they don't do that. Um, so, for I think my my wild card, I, you know, I'm gonna, I think this is a third category of a thing that I don't actually predict, but I really wish would happen. Is I really wish all the phones would be OLED. Now I know that's almost certainly not going to be the case, but I think that would be that would really unify the line. The external appearance, the OLED, the internals, uh, the different form factors, like just, I, it would be nice if this was the year for OLED for all the phones. Um, based on the various articles floating around how Samsung's supplying all the OLEDs, maybe that maybe they just mean for Apple's new phone, but I think they just mean in general, and they just can't do that with their high volume phones that, you know, so uh, aside from Mac Pro stuff, obviously that I'm not going to mention, I think it would be really Thank cool you. if they were all OLED. Marco. I mean, my my the thing I would want the most that is still plausible that I haven't already predicted. <laughs> I would say um, early release of the iMac Pro or the HomePod. Um, I don't think ah. either of those are very likely. No, you know, because because they they both were saying December, I think, in in at WDC, right? So I 
those are fairly unlikely. And this, and if they're being released in December, this would even be awfully early to open up pre-orders. So they probably aren't going to do that either. Um, but if the iMac Pro is ready early, that would be cool. Um, and you know, the HomePod I think probably has the least chance of being released early because it seemed like it was still way behind in software. Um, so that and that's the hardest thing to get done early. Um, I also, you know, more realistically on on the front of the on on the iPad or sorry on the iMac Pro front, it would be really cool if that had Face ID. It isn't out yet. We don't oh, know whether it will or not. It could. They could put the same sensors, presumably, into the display of an iMac. Um, so I would love if an iMac Pro, if if the iMac Pro started out having Face ID. We already know it has Secure Enclave, so it, it has some of the things that re- that would be required to do that already. Um, so any sign that Face ID could be making it into Macs would be really cool, and the most opportune time to start that would be with the iMac Pro. Um, so that's a big wild card, I think, but that's fairly unlikely to happen at all, let alone in this event. <laughs> so if I had to look at this particular event, um, I guess my wild card or, or the, the thing I kind of hope blows me away, it, you know, I already hope the phone is great in all these different ways, but I, I, I'm pretty sure it will be. Like the phone being, Apple has such a good track record with phones, that the phone being great is not even a risk to take to predict that. It's not even a thing that would surprise me because the phones are always great. <laughs> so, and that's, you know, it's kind of horrible in some way to, to think that way and to say that. But that, like, their track record is so good that, you know, I, I expect the phone to be amazing. One thing that would dramatically surprise me that is not easily predicted is I want the watch to really surprise me and, and delight me. Like, if, you know, they're, they're doing a new watch now, the only watch update they've done so far, which was when they launched the Series 1 and 2, um, was a pretty minor overall update. It, it really, as you know, as, as I said earlier, it really didn't change that much. I would love for the Apple Watch to really surprise me in, in a positive way to, and to, to do something that makes me say, wow, that's, I really want that, or that would be really great, or I wonder what I could do with that. And it hasn't done that yet, uh, and, and so I, I really hope for that. Yeah, there's no way that'll happen. So Marco listed three things in the interest of time. That's good. <laughs> Have you ever heard top four? Yeah, well, in top four, you can only come up with one or two things. In this show, I ask for one, you get three. Mm-hmm. I, I see how it works. Of course. Uh, for his next selection, Marco picks every prediction except for the Mac Pro. <laughs> well, we, we know that's not going to happen. I, 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 would, I would not even bet on them mentioning the Mac Pro. I mean, like, nope. honestly, again, no like, I honestly think it's very unlikely that we're going to have, have anything about the Mac mentioned at all. It, that would be extremely unlikely. I don't think High Sierra is ready, and therefore they're not going to launch the iMac Pro without High Sierra. And I don't think they're going to mention the Mac Pro at all because they have nothing new to say about it yet because it's too early. Um, so yeah, I I, don't, I wouldn't expect really anything about the Mac to be mentioned at this event. Uh, a few people have predicted uh, or have have um, wished for an update to AirPods either a new version or a price drop or both <laughs> or, or shipping them. Yeah, I, I think. A new version and a price drop are both incredibly unlikely to happen. Nope. Uh, th- I think the AirPods go unchanged in, in all ways through this holiday season, and they're going to sell a ton of them, and you're going to love them. Well, they're not going to sell a ton of them. They can't make them. Yeah. Still? I forgot to mention for the, for the 4K Apple TV uh, HDR, which should go without saying, but it's worth saying. Oh, yeah. And the other thing is uh, 
uh, increased frame rate output so you have something that's a multiple of 24. Yeah. I think we're done. I think we're done with this event. We don't even need to watch it now. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Thanks to our sponsors this week, Betterment, Hover, and Away. And we will see you next week after the iPhone event. Now the show is over. They didn't even mean to begin. Because it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental. John didn't do any research. Marco and Casey wouldn't let him. Because it was accidental. accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental. And you can find the show notes at atp.fm. And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at C-A-S-E-Y-L. ISS, so that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O-A-R-M-E-N-T, Marco Arment, S-I-R-A-C, USA Syracuse, it's accidental. I'm going through serious bike withdrawal. Oh, my God. Don't you have like seven bikes at your house now? No, they're at the beach house. What about the one you got for your house? I didn't get one for my house yet. Oh, good. Now you can get another six of them. Well, and the problem is that the uh, <laughs> there's really nowhere here to put bikes at all. Like, it's going to be fairly hard to put even one bike in my garage. Don't you have a two-car garage? Yeah, it has two cars in it. Don't tell me there's no room for bikes. My b- garage barely fits my Honda Accord, and you're like, oh, there's no room for bikes in my two-car garage. Uh, well, no, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I still actually, like, you know, we use our cars in and out of the garage all the time, and we have other things in the garage also, like, you know, a snowblower and tools and stuff like that. So it's like, <laughs> it's hard. It, it, there's, there's not a lot of room in there. Oh, that sounds hard. If if it was at all reasonable to have multiple bikes in my garage, I would have already ordered one to tide me over until I get the one I really want, uh, which is probably like a couple months out. So, oh well. At least at least this money draining hobby of mine is making me marginally healthier. Yeah, I was also going to get you hit by a car because it's not like uh, <laughs> the, you know biking on this uh, level ground with no cars trying to kill you. Now you're in a combat zone. Now, no, I, I actually have incredibly little uh interest in riding on the roads oh you're gonna go on the bike the bike trails yeah like we have we have a trail very close to our house like um so that so i plan to do a lot of riding on that there's also a a much larger trail like on the border of our town so i have to figure out how do i either get there on a bike without dying on the roads or somehow transport a bike using my car and that's a whole thing bike rack i'm sure they have bike racks for the back of your thing they do, but you have to get a tow hook installed first, and getting a tow hook installed on a Model S is something that is possible to do, but is not officially supported, and it's kind of hard to do, and you have to have like a specialty place install it, and the dealers won't do it anymore, and so I don't know. <laughs> See, I started looking into it, I'm like, oh god, this sounds awful, so <laughs> then I stopped looking into it. Uh, I think the more, uh, the more likely a- approach is I'll just throw it in the back and go alone sometimes when I don't have a car seat back there.
Yeah, it could fit. You don't have the seats back there, so you fold the seats down and you should have room back there. I was going to say a roof rack, but then you need someone's help to get it off the top of the car, wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, uh-huh. I'm serious, though. I think I would need someone's help to get it off the top of the car. It's not easy to, like, the bikes, you know, standing. It's not like skis on a ski rack where you just have to be able to reach onto the thing to get it off. You uh, Getting a big tippy bicycle up there is tricky. Oh, yeah, because they stand them up. They don't lie them down, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. And how do you, like, not hit overpasses and stuff? I guess they're not that high. Oh, it'll, yeah. It'll they're fit. not that high. But yeah, no, it'll, it'll probably fit in the back of your sort of hatchback, but not a hatchback car. If I t- if I take out the car seat, I bet it'll fit. With the car seat in, it might not, because I could then I can't then I can I can only do the two thirds fold down with the car seat in, and so that probably is not going to happen. But and just stick to your local bike trail. That's the easier way to do it. Yeah, but but like the one that's on the edge of town is way longer, and so I don't know. Well, so you, the real problem is if you ever want to go on the big long one, like as a family, now you got to fit three bikes and three people, and now yeah. now you're into you got to call Casey with his giant truck to help you. Exactly, but you couldn't fit that. You couldn't fit that in his truck anyway because you couldn't get it on a roof rack, and there's no room in the tiny little trunk because it's a stupid SUV. 